start the show. For Thursday, September 19th, 2019, welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Welcome to a special episode of This Is Only a Test, not only because every episode is special, but because we're in a very special week. We are? We are in a very special week. You know what? Is today the 19th? Mm. Yeah, I guess by the time you're listening, yeah. it is the 19th, right? Thursday 19th. But Friday, September 20th, mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff's happening. This is a big week. I was over at Gary's house Gary over this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, Jeremy Williams. Co-host of the podcast, oh. introducing Jeremy Williams is here. Everyone, hi, and also Kishore Hari. Hi, 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 guys. Uh, I was over at Gary's house, and they were saying what a momentous week it was going to be because one, iPhones are coming out, mm-hmm. no big deal. Uh, the Apple Watch is coming out as well. Yeah. You also got the Nintendo Switch Lite mm-hmm. being released on Friday. More interested as this, well this as the, the Switch with the like it's all it's not detachable. Correct. And the, slightly smaller. The smaller screen, um, way more portable, uh, good battery life. Not, let's be honest, it's not way more portable. I mean, the Switch is kind of bulky. The Switch is portable, but like seeing the, the photos and the videos of people holding the Switch lights, it's, yeah. it's pocketable. All right, almost. cool. It's back pocketable. And uh, the, uh, the Zelda remaster mm-hmm. is coming out. The Game Boy game. The Game Boy game yeah. being remastered. Link's, Link's Awakening. Link's Awakening looks beautiful, it's gorgeous. Also, Untitled Goose Game. Yes, there for it. Is it yeah. just? It's just. What is this game about? What happens in this game? It's about a goose that's just really trying to mess with humans. Are you the goose? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Who? Want, I mean, yeah, you want to be the goose. Mm-hmm. You want to be the goose. It's just this game is is. It, it gets a lot of press. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's novel. And what else? Oh, uh, I guess by the time you're listening to this, Apple Arcade. Would have already been launched for people want to try that. Why is that? Is it gaming. out tomorrow? It's what? out on it's on the nineteenth. Okay, on um, tomorrow, like as in yeah. when, Thursday. Yes, very or, good. Or as people for them listening today. to it today. Yes, got it. And I think it's even like uh, it was Gary's dog's birthday or something. But anyway, big week for them. Big week. Big week for a lot of people. Momentous week. How are your weekends? Swell. Yeah. yeah. Do anything fun? Anything interesting? Yeah. Pretty uneventful no. for me. Yeah. No. I How think- about you? I almost had jury duty like this week, you mm-hmm. know, that was exciting. I was called and uh, it, interestingly, there was um, some people there that I recognized, two people. Oh, really? Yeah. Doesn't that automatically disqualify you for jury duty? I don't think they, them? they like you to know the defendant, right? I don't think they like you to know the attorneys, but I don't know if there's real strict rules against knowing other jury members because San Francisco is a small town after all. That's must town. happen all the time. Thousand people in this town. Yeah, I mean, you could be a very social person. So I didn't get. I didn't even get called up on there to talk to anybody. Really, I was just in the pool. And, and then the, the both uh, attorneys they looked over the pool and then they like, I like the cut of that person's jib. Let me bring him up and ask him a few questions. I think that's what they do, but they call it random. They call. Yeah, they they exactly. pretend. Yeah. The, the show is that it's random. 
you didn't have a kind face. It's like you the, didn't read as neutral. It's like the random TSA searches. Yeah, you, you know. should have projected more Buddha. Um, I I'm glad I, I wasn't called. Yeah, would have taken you out for who knows how long. Yeah, exactly. Although, and the crime happened in my neighborhood. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you were potentially directly affected. Exactly. Your community. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very exciting. Did you talk about your uh, your past uh, relationship with the police and the, uh, the service you've done for the police and reporting crime? Are you outing me as the criminal that I no, that I am? No. What are you no, talking no, about? No, you've been an assistance to the police. Of assistance. Oh, that's true. That's true. Right? As yeah, I, I catch package package thieves on yeah, a monthly basis. That's right. Uh, no, I they didn't ask me anything, man. Oh, okay, didn't All have right. a chance. I All didn't right. realize Jeremy was a snitch over here. Next time, <laughs> Narc. <laughs> Definitely, he's part of the, the ring team of, uh, of of package thief narcs. Okay, well, uh, I was down in L.A. this weekend. I was at Son of Monster Palooza down there just for the day. Flew in the morning, flew out. It's a uh, the uh, smaller event counterparts of the spring big special effects makeup show and it was a lot of fun um it was at the burbank marriott still super crowded it's like 100 degrees 100 degrees down there but saw a bunch of familiar faces it's also it's a convention where the organizer uh brings in a, some new vendors and i didn't get a chance to talk with everyone i wanted to because i was there for literally four hours before i had to to jet but uh, talk to some people. A lot of people, a lot of these artists there have day jobs who work at uh, special effects firms or video game companies, and then they bring their personal projects to a show. And for one example, one artist uh, uh, for day job does uh, the artistic finish on animatronics that you might see at theme parks, uh, but in his spare time does sculpture work and uh, some animatronics of his own. And so he had some really cool animatronics shown there. Uh, some assemblage art, people kind of kit bashing with different toys and found goods. Uh, the one company I didn't get a chance to talk to, but a company that makes eyeballs. Mm. And they made all the eyeballs for Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance, mm. for all the puppets. So and, good. Yeah, and they, and they had a whole booth there with all, with just like eyeballs of all different sizes. Adam's and, got an eyeball guy. Yeah. He had him. You want a good eyeball guy. You do. Especially like he made it for, he um, engaged his eyeball guy for the 2001 baby. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You got to do it the right size. Mm -hmm. It's, they're not, you know, perfectly hemispheres because you have the little, little bump. Uh, the, the paint finish on eyeballs is really important. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wish I had a chance I, to ch chat with eyeball makers. I did a deep dive into eyeball creation um, uh, for when I did uh, big screen science on, on, um, Blade Runner. Yeah, uh, I, thought gonna, I thought you were going to say uh, Last Action Hero. Well, what I found fascinating is the way they get the the capillaries laid on isn't by paint. They use silk threads mm. that they fray and they like literally just like lay them down, lay them down, really, uh, and then sort of paint over them to hmm. get the glossy texture. Yeah. Uh, and then I I put the crowd through a test to see if they could pick out the fake eyeball. Um, out of front, images? Front, out of images. Oh, you don't have like real eyeballs and nope. fake eyeballs side by side. Which one has the uncanny valley? Uh, well, I'll, ju I'll just tell you that it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, and fake eyeballs aren't round. Yeah. Like real fake eyeballs. Okay. Real yeah. good fake eyeballs. Yeah. Yes, the quality ones. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the videos from Monster Palooza will be rolling out soon on the site. But you guys, uh, it's a good weekend. Not, not, not that big. And what's the I'm mall? Just, I'm just going to tell you, I don't do much on the weekend, Norm. Let's just cover that right now. The weekend is like the best time to do stuff. Go, going forward, that question is unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I have never had a good answer to that question, and I and I will not. Uh, my, I mean, my answers are usually, I took my kid from point A to point B for their thing. Yeah, yeah. things point look forward C. to. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm looking at the glimpse of the future right here. Guitar lessons. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we got top story then. Top story this week. We had a debate about what to do as our top story this week because two weeks ago we talked extensively about the Apple products that are that were announced and are coming out this week and now have been reviewed by early reviewers. And we'll get into that, I think, more, probably more appropriate for the tech news section. Mm. But we did get a, a huge, big pop culture uh, news dump this week and we thought it might be appropriate to talk about reboots because there were a ton of announced potential rumors maybe some of these some some formally announced reboots of beloved and maybe not so beloved uh tv series movies franchises that now hollywood wants to get another stab at you have so, such a massive list here it's I, crazy what did this all happen this, this week this all happened this past week now crazy. a bunch of them are uh, a package together because of a new streaming service that was announced so nbc universal has announced their netflix competitor probably more appropriate to call it a more cbs all access competitor because they're both existing networks with huge library back catalogs hmm. and new shows that they want to develop but they want to put it out there nbc universal big conglomerate you know comcast all owned by them i thought nbc was on hulu is it not uh, NBC, I think, is on Hulu. It is. But just like Disney is part of Hulu, Hulu was the stopgap measure, it seemed. Like, Hulu right. was all the networks coming together to fight off Netflix. But now that there's more money in streaming services, the, serv- the, the companies are like, well, we can do this ourselves. And we would rather get all of the money. So do you think they're yeah, backing out of Hulu? Possible. Don't know. I, I think that's a more complicated legal story. I think things mm. may disappear from Hulu over time. Hulu as an entity, I don't think is going to disappear. Got it. It will probably just be more of a uh, Showtime or a Stars-like premium bundle for the shows they make. Hmm. So NBC, first of all, NBC service, NBC Universal service will be called Peacock. Okay. What do you think of the name? Solid. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. Turn on the peacock. I mean, it takes no. me back. It takes me back to Musty TV. You know, I, I always like their logo. Bum bum bum. Yeah, sure. That's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. They got the chime. Right? Yep. So along with the, let's let's start there. Along with the NBC Universal Peacock announcement, they talk about two shows they're specifically thinking of rebooting. The first one, Saved by the Bell. Don't. Any love for Saved by the Bell? Um, no. Negative. Negative. Ne- what? You did not grow up with Saved by the Bell? No. When, oh. I, when I say negative, I mean negative love. Oh. I, I, oh, you really did I not really like don't it. like it. I, I wow. never. I was too old for it, and I, it was oh. just one of those shows like uh, Married with Children that I just never understood the appeal. That's a good. Okay. Okay. Sure. Same with you. I did watch it. Did not care for it. Oh, all right. Either. Well, and I care less for it now. This is a soft reboot. So this is not recasting. This is much oh, like we're gonna catch up, we're gonna catch up with AC and the and the gang. That's right. It's more like um, Boy Meets World when they did Girl Meets World, and it was what happened when the original cast have now grown up and become parents. Now it is gonna center on AC Slater, who is now married Jesse, and they have a kid who is going back to back to school. Oh, Jeremy is not having any of this. I just can't wait for the next one. <laughs> 
I mean, but here's the here's the big. Here's we the, here's also the big, we had a series follow up to Saved by the Bell where they went to college. They did, and uh, like Screech a, was the only one who came back. A TV show? Yes. Yeah. My God. Yes, Belding like, was the only. Uh, Belding was like one of the the main cast members, right? It was a uh, it was a new class or yeah, something. I think Zach was also in it. He was like the TA or something. I don't, mm. This sounds horrible. So here's the big plot point that they're also kicking this off with. Zach Morris is going to be a guest star on this show because the character of Zach Morris, Mark Paul uh, Gosler. Gosler, is the governor of California. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> no love for Zayvon Bell. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Also in the NBC Universal catalog, and maybe a little more controversial, reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Like a second reboot? Because they've already done that. Yeah. Battlestar Galactica, uh, the 2004 yeah. show by Ronald Moore and beloved by you know genre fans everywhere, Heavily. is is probably the more canonical BSG now in At terms of point, pop culture. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be showrun by the creator of Mr. Robot. Wow. Some, Sam Esmail. And mm-hmm. it may not be a hard reboot. So the, after they, they announced this, obviously the big, uh, there's a lot of backlash from fans. And then they came out and said, well, they're not going to erase the canon uh-huh. of the Ron Moore BSG, but it will tell a story in a different part of that world. Okay, fine. So it might be like they did that Caprica spinoff show. I feel like they're going to, in order to capitalize it, if they're going to do it, it's going to be called Battlestar Galactica. I, I can't imagine, like, didn't that show end with thousands of years later like it, it it there's no you know what there's I, no more story there i did not finish it i loved the first couple seasons and, but then as soon as they were on that the planet, planet on uh, new capricorn and it became a different kind of the show i i kind of lost interest yeah. it dipped and came back yeah yeah my experience of it yeah uh isn't isn't you know kara thrace who played starbucks isn't she that's the name of her character oh what kara thrace is starbucks. oh okay well i just looked her up whatever isn't she in another show now and um, like she was on a Netflix show that did not do well. Another World? Yeah. Say? Yeah, it, it didn't do well. But it was sci-fi, yeah, right? Sci-fi. Okay. Yeah. So that, she's, she's not a bunch of sci-fi She's shows. not doing that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. The last bit of NBC Universal reboot, there's like five more reboots we're going to talk about after this. The Office. The Office reboot. Now, this is less confirmed, and it's more a quote from the uh, one of the executives over at NBC Universal that says, the goal is... But if after they kicked off the service in 2020, by 2021, they want to be developing a reboot of The Office. Mm-hmm. My answer is on spin-off. the television. Yeah? No? No. It's like the remix culture, isn't it? It's like Everything's a remix. It's just yeah. that video. Yeah. Everything's inspired by everything else. <sighs> I'll tell you the, the uh, reboot of The Office I would be into. You remember the SNL skit where uh, Steve Carell did a Japanese version of The Office? No, that was funny. No, that, that sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like it didn't age well. Oh well, probably not. But or the Lord of the Rings take on the Office mm. that they did <laughs> as an SNL skit yeah, really mashed. I up. could get, I yeah. could get behind that. The Office in the BSG world. Why? Why? Why are we doing? This? No, but let me let me just ask the question: Why so many of these? Like, why is it because people There's are out of ideas, or is it because people would rather watch a reboot of something they know than a new I, IP? Well, even if they did a new IP, you know, a lot of people will say, I'll, I'll give you an example, the uh, How I Met Your Mother, 
where How I Met Your Mother was hugely successful, but for that generation who loved it, it was kind of like very similar to Friends. It was just Friends a decade later, right? So ideas aren't new. Everything is a remix. Yep. So these ex executives may be thinking, well, we like this formula. We like this kind of office workplace you know, style of comedy. Uh, we could do something that's inspired on it and call it a new thing, or they can capitalize on this brand that they own and just call it The Office. Are they going to call it The Office colon work from home? Um, yeah, tell, like tell, what, tell is the, what is the what is the office new take on this the office co-working space um it's hard for me not to be cynical and, and just think that they are taking the low road here and doing the easy thing uh because the office I don't is, think is one of my favorite easy. shows yeah. of all times yeah and it it's wouldn't actually, have existed if it were like a you know a reboot of something else although it, i realize there's the british office it is a reboot of right it is literally a, a scene for scene redo of the british office for yeah. the first first season so i don't think it's an easy thing i think it's actually a very hard thing to reboot something of that stature with with that kind of with the expectations and the pressure uh that's that's i don't think that's easy at all uh, is it what is it the most original thing no no i think the cynical take is that if you actually go back in time to when it was on air, these shows actually didn't do that well they compared did, to yeah. like CSI and other like procedurals in terms of the ratings. It's all been about how well it, they've done on streaming. Really? And DVD. And yeah, and DVD. syndication. There had to have been a, a slowing increase in popularity. I mean, certainly you know, there's, Seinfeld. There's the like rumors like somewhere mid in the run of The Office that it was going to get canceled because it wasn't keeping up with ratings. Mm. When it was good? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Hmm. I mean, eventually those shows became cultural yeah. touchstones. And, you know, by, by the time you got to the last season, everyone's watching just like with Cheers, just like with Friends. Yeah. And everyone wanted to see how it all end. Uh, so those are the NBC Universal shows that they're rebooting. How about some movies? Mm -hmm. You got the Mortal Kombat movie. That's, that's a well-known reboot. James Wan, director of uh, the Insidious franchise, I want to say. I'm not a big horror guy, but he did also uh, Fast and Furious seven as well as aquaman he is directing the mortal kombat movie they've announced their casting for sub-zero and uh and also for scorpion as well as now for uh sonya blade and, and kano so you have a uh, you have a lot and, and raiden oh my god they've announced they've announced a, a ton of characters the thing is the games have gotten so gory and photorealistic how do you make a movie that's not nc-17 and actually you know, it doesn't need to be gory to be entertaining. I completely I think, agree with I, you. I, I think but, uh, it's Mortal Kombat, have, Norm. You can have good action. You can have like there, it's a horror director. You, if you have great choreographed action, very stylized, mm -hmm. like it's a fantasy world. Like, this, Mortal Kombat's a fantasy story, and one of the reasons that the Paul W S Anderson Mortal Kombat movie from the late '90s is called classic is because it's so campy. Embrace the camp, like you have. Goro, a character with four arms. You have, like, you 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 have a lightning god, and you have palette swap ninjas, right? Like, how can that not be campy? Don't that, take it seriously. That sounds like a better movie than I'm imagining. That's good. I hope they go that route. I, I hope so too. Yeah. I mean, did you see? Did you see Aquaman? Nope. Uh, Aquaman. Yeah, I, I Aquaman think Aquaman is fine. Yeah, I think if they embrace the spectacle that. James Wan brought to Aquaman in some of the visual flourish he did. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that fans are going to eat this movie up. And and not only have uh, the latest Mortal Kombat game has been, you know, as true, extra gory and heavy on the action, but people have actually really liked the storyline. 
from the last Mortal Kombat games. And so there's, there's a lot of character depth there. Today I learned there's a storyline. Yeah, that's a whole story mode. No there's, idea. There's time travel. Yeah, they're oh, ripping wow. those spines out to get to like a secret <laughs> thumb drive in there. <laughs> okay, how about another video game reboot? Did you either of you watch the Assassin's Creed movie with Michael Fassbender? Oh, I'm starting to feel like I've never seen no. a movie. Nope, never saw that one. That I one did, wasn't I particularly that very one. good. It was a high-budget movie, lofty expectations, but now, uh, and I believe that was through Fox, but now because Disney owns Fox, Disney is considering, at least the rumor, is considering rebooting Assassin's Creed. I could see... I always thought there was enough story there, even though the story is real weird in the game, that you could make a movie out of it. Yep. I'm with you. Oh, it's heavy sci-fi. That was, yeah. that was a big twist of the first game. It ended up not being a historical action game. It ended up being the sci-fi story about going into your DNA, your lineage, and, and your, the legacy of your ancestors. Uh, and, and the movie that, that Michael Fassbender did kind of embraced that a little bit, except got really convoluted by the end. And so I think there's opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And then uh, how about uh, in other movies? Maybe this is more, more your generation, more your era. Face Off. John Woo's face off. This is Travolta and Nick Cage, right? And Nick Cage. Never seen it. <laughs> Have you watched a movie? It's before? funny. You know, we are on weekends. We are not talking about classic movies right now. Let's be fair to Jeremy. Classics. It's funny that this comes up because Danica, uh, who I just played badminton with, yeah. is a huge Nick Cage uh, fan, at least of, of a couple movies. Yeah, we just watched uh, Snake Eyes. And uh, this came up the fact that I hadn't seen it. And uh, I, I guess I got to see it. It's got a huge following on the internet. It's a garbage movie. I think you're going to be. It's not a good movie. All right. Yeah. Like, like if you want to see a really interesting, well-made Nick Cage movie, yeah. uh, Bad Lieutenant is really good. Okay. That's a Herzog film, I believe. And then Snake Eyes is fantastic. That's a De Palma film. The opening of Snake Eyes. That's the, the first, one where you kind of don't know what's happening. It's, right? it's yeah. Rashomon a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, a murder mystery inside Atlantic City Casino on mm. Fight Night. Mm. And the opening of the film is like a 10-minute tracking shot. I like those. Like it's really well The opening made. to Boogie Nights. Yeah. Um, raising Jeremy. Arizona? Yeah, stick with Raising Arizona. Yeah, That's I what I was just saying. Say. Or National Treasure, which underrated... I was going to say, great third, movie. Third uh, there's a couple of those. Yeah. Book of Secrets, also good. Okay. By good, I mean, like, I'll stop. All and right. Watch so, it. so they're redoing Face Off. Yeah. Do you know the premise of this film? Uh, two dudes, they switch faces. <laughs> that, that, Is that there it? There you go. That's it. Nailed That's it. it. <laughs> it's Nick Cage, John Travolta in their peak, like, of their, of their A list celebrity, right? This is what, 97? This is right after The Rock. Right, yeah, Con Air, Nick Cage on a high. He's on an action movie high. John Travolta's up there as well, right? Had he just done was a Broken Arrow, uh, and you have the big personalities. Mm-hmm. And John Woo said, "Let's make a movie where let's so you to to flex your acting chops. You act as you, and you act as you. John Travolta, you will be Nick Cage, and Nick Cage, you will be John Travolta." And let's see if we can convince the audience that you've traded bodies. So you, swap faces. So you've got the actors pretending to be the other actor. Yes. Yes. Okay. By literally peeling their face off. Do you know? Do you not know the, the premise? I already told you that I knew the premise. Yeah. Okay. I sw- told you they switch faces. They switch, do you know why they switch faces? So that they can pr- portray one another. <laughs> Presumably, yes. Yeah. yeah, what, yeah. what am I missing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I still got to see it, though. 
I forget who's the villain. It's like it's it's so convoluted. Oh, no, oh, one of them is not a bad guy. No, no, no. The, the one of them is the bad okay, guy. Okay, okay, okay. So I, I think it's that uh, John Travolta. Yeah, is the villain. But he's, he's actually the, being played by Nick Cage. Well, no, he's the villain. Nick Cage is the cop, right? <laughs> but when you say Nick wrong. Cage, do you mean John Travolta? <laughs> no, no, a, so, <laughs> so they capture they capture this big villain, this like big uh, drug lord. Yeah, you know, and and in order to infiltrate the underworld, don't ruin it though. No, this is just the premise. All right, the cop o- offers. To take the face of the villain, just the face, it literally just cut around the mm-hmm. face yeah. and puts on his face to infiltrate the underworld. Now, while that's happening, the villain wakes up in the in the hospital mm-hmm. and it's like, "Where's my face?" And it's this grotesque, like prosthetic. His face is, is has come off. Oh my gosh! But, like Hannibal Lecter, exactly. But it turns out the face of the hero is left at the hospital, like on ice. Get, to be prepared for the reverse transfer. Okay. And so, oh, well, he took my face. Yeah. I guess I'll take his face and steal his life. Okay. And there's your premise. All right, thanks. And then doves fly out. There's a lot of shooting, and it's terrible. I don't know who, like, if you guys haven't seen this, it, it, I want to see who you would recast. Like, are there two actors you can think of in modern day who are big personalities who you think it might be fun to see their face faces swapped? The Rock and Kevin Hart. Yes, there we go. That's my answer Jumanji? to any of those buddy Jumanji? movies. Didn't they do like two movies together? Yes. Yeah. Uh, what What about like, um, I was thinking like uh, Chris Hemsworth and... Oh, Chris's. Let's just do the yeah, Chris's. Chris's. I know, right? All the Chris's. Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pine. There you go. And Chris Pratt. Th- oh, what a twist. Three, yeah. three-way face-off. The twist is that Chris Evans also shows up. Oh my God, by the end. And then James Martin's, Marsden's like, what am I doing? I need to get in on this. Yeah, face off. All right. Considering being rebooted. Okay. Uh, we'll jump to the next one a couple fa- quickly. Uh, there's Tank Girl. And this one's uh, further along because the rights have been bought up by Margot Robbie's production company. So she might be starring in Tank Girl. Margot Robbie played uh, Harley Quinn in mm-hmm. Suicide Squad. I like the Laurie Petty movie. Yeah, I think that a lot of people, cult, a lot of people cult do, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if this one needs to be rebooted. But if they were going to do it, I don't think you, they could have found a better person to redo it. With Marco Roby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, based on her portrayal of Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad and the upcoming uh, Birds of Prey movie. And then finally, this one, this, oh, one. this one's the big, nope. the big controversy. The rights have been sold so that they may be rebooting The Princess Bride. This is a horrible idea. All the cast members have come out to say, no, no, no. Oh, good. It's a perfect film. You don't need to do this. Didn't uh, Like Andre the Giant rose from the grave and was like, <laughs> yeah. this is a no. terrible idea. <laughs> Did, didn't uh, Rob Reiner direct that? Rob Reiner did, did direct it. What does he say about this? I mean, maybe, what if they bring him back? What if that's their, their hook? Uh, well, then I suppose that the actors probably wouldn't be so opposed to it. But I don't think he'd do it. Smart guy. Yeah, it's because it's a perfect film. What if it's Princess Bride 2, Bridezilla? Or mm. like, you know, like really mm. go camp. Mm. Like, it's a, it's the second book in the series. Who would you cast as... And there have been a lot of fan castings if they if they did a reboot yeah. of, of yeah, Princess yeah. Bride. Like, Andre the Giant's role would be the, probably the toughest to cast, right? You want something, <sighs> someone physically imposing, like, the mountain from Game of Thrones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Would one. he be... But he did have the personality, because it wasn't so much that he was a big dude. It was goofy. He was super goofy. He was so lovable. You cannot manufacture the Princess Bride. There was so much confluence of luck 
and correct and good casting that just ended up being magical. I think you just get another Chris, get a Chris Hemsworth to play uh, Wesley, <laughs> play play the Dread Pirate. That's Roberts. the problem is that almost nobody. I mean, there were a couple a people charm. who were known, but yeah. like the, Andre the Giant was not a film star. That's true, no one would have thought to bring him into a film, and he ended up being fantastic. Yeah, so maybe an unknown yeah. for Andre the Giant's role. Dave Bautista could do it. Yeah, there, I think he has yeah. the charm to but do then it. Then you're going with a, like a known quantity. There's one person I would bring back. Yeah. Wallace, Wallace Shawn. Yeah, yeah. Wallace Shawn would just play himself. Yeah. Just be just, Wallace yes. Shawn. Yes. In Frankie makeup. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, Greg Vegas. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, uh, well, and I like how the, we all agreed on that immediately. It was just not a question. The Six-Fingered Man is uh, Chris, um, you know, from... Um, Chris Vargas. Chris Vargas from Spinal Tap and all that. Yeah, but who would you, who, who would you have? Uh, he could do it again. He probably do. Yeah, bring him back. Yeah, yeah okay. He's kind of okay. part of the magic. What about... Um, uh, for Montoya, who would you play instead of Mandy Patinkin? Uh, Oscar Isaac. Who's that? Uh, uh, Poe po, po Dameron. Oh, yeah, yeah. Poe Dameron from Star Wars. He could do it. Uh, then, yeah. Uh, the thing yeah, is, you, then you're, you're just trying to re- manufacture. Got to be random. So. That's right. That's right. It has to be completely different. Who would play the Fred Savage character? Well, Fred Savage is going to be the dad reading, <laughs> oh, reading there to you go. the then young it's a kid. Sub, then it's his. Then it's a game of telephone. Uh, that's kind of cute, right? That's then it's cute. like he was told the story when he was a kid in yeah. bed, he and now he's getting sick, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel then, ill it's, it's for a throwing that idea. Oh my! You, you solved it. You solved <laughs> this. Is this horrible. is this is a, I apologize. A Hollywood writers room that you're listening to in the making. We're all high fives around. <laughs> Fred Savage retelling the story. He he's lost the book. He, maybe he's reading an ebook, and then the power goes out on it, and he has to kind of bring it from memory. And it's a he's getting some stuff right, and they could use old footage. <laughs> they could reshoot some scenes because he'd get some stuff right and get some stuff wrong. And it's all about the power of storytelling. Norm's now just high fiving himself. Yeah, I mean, it happens all the time. <laughs> Let's be clear. I do not advocate the remaking of the Princess Bride, regardless of how much I like that idea. Just to have that on the record. Yes, let's have that on the record. Okay, uh, pop culture news. It's uh, not too many stories. Oh, it's a few stories. You got, of course, streaming services. We talked about Peacock. No word on pricing. It's going to have that back catalog library of all the NBC Universal stuff. So people might really want to get it for that. It, it's unsustainable at this point, right? Like it, every network can't do their own. Seven dollar, ten dollar a month streaming service, and all these startups. I actually, so I'm going to come out with a weird take. I'm actually excited that they're launching this because I think it'll accelerate the the combining of the uh, of the networks. Because I think we have to get through this phase where everyone's like, I could do that, and get to the point where they're like, Oh, that's too expensive, and then there's no market for me to do it. So there's some bit of consolidation that happens. I mean, they, and they, we get down to the right number of them. Uh, is, is this a bad thing? I mean, isn't yeah. the whole idea of breaking up the phone companies so that we could choose our provider? Don't we want to have choice of what networks we subscribe to? We don't want a thousand channels in the cable. We want to choose the ones we want to pay for. But it also breaks up the content in not a true a la carte fashion. Right. It's all ESPNs. They want you to buy the, the, the it's, it's Comcast bundles all over again. Yeah. But everyone has their own flagship bundle thing. There. Because you're not paying per show. Yeah. You're paying per set of. And yes, there stuff. are new shows. But I, I think 
what ends up being is that they they need to make it easier for people to subscribe and unsubscribe. And the business model, they're all banking on people subscribing and just having it be a sunk cost every month of you know fifty bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever. And they need to make it easier, or there needs to be there's an opportunity for a company to make it easier for you to subscribe for one month and then fall off the next month. Now, do you th- ever see a world where you'd be able to subscribe for a month but only get a certain number of hours from a service? Ugh, that feels like a data cap. It, it does. Yuck. Yeah. A certain number of hours. Yeah, then you'd be or worried. Or a certain number of shows. You'd be worried to yeah. watch things because it would be like a, a, something you're spending. Yeah. I mean, people, if, if you're subscribed to five or six streaming services, you're not watching everything. There's no, no way you're watching no. all the stuff that's coming out. And the way you optimize it is you kind of turn on and off your subscriptions when the new shows come out. I mean, not everyone has unlimited internet, so th- there is that. Like, people mm-hmm. do have to consider spending that currency. That's what public libraries are for. Watching TV? Mm-hmm. Yes, using, <laughs> using, using, using the Wi-Fi. Uh, well, it's, it's still, it's going to be, and not only is it new shows, but it's going to be a battle for archival content, the back catalog content as well. And that's not cheap because Netflix just spent a ton of money locking in Seinfeld for, for five years. And this feels like a, we lost friends. Let's get the something else. But I don't, my suspicion is Seinfeld doesn't do as well on streaming as friends or the office or parks and rec. I don't think it's as rewatchable. I think people are, even though it's a better show than those other ones. And and maybe it's more watchable. Like Seinfeld feels like a show that is better suited for cable when you're channel flipping and you end up on a Seinfeld when the options are less limited at any, any, any time, if you have a YouTube TV, if you have a Comcast, you're only kind of going between like 30 or so channels and Seinfeld's going to be on one of them. There's going to be a you know, house hunters on another channel and South parks on another channel. And that feels landing on Seinfeld to just throw on as opposed to searching for it. And in, in a service that feels like the more appropriate place, but you know, they're spending like, you know, a rumored of $500 million for Seinfeld for, first x many years the big technology story here though is seinfeld was filmed in 35 millimeter right and it was cropped four by three for or it was, it was shown four by three in the original broadcast and all mm-hmm. details there you can scan seinfeld i think i believe is archived and scanned at 4k now it when it's presented on uh, before netflix has it it's on hulu right and hulu <laughs> has it in 16.9 widescreen, which is what you see it also when you watch it on, on cable Which TV. is expanded or cropped from the original? So it's, ex- see, haha, it's both. It's not only is a 16 by 9 crop top and bottom, mm-hmm. but because it was shot 3 by 2, um, 35 mil, you get a little more on the sides than you did on the 4 by 3. So the true ideal way to, to watch Seinfeld would be a 3 by 2 aspect ratio not fully widescreen but slightly wider than the four by three and it's never been shown that way yeah i don't think people would be comfortable with that yeah yeah uh netflix says that also when it's going to roll out seinfeld it's they're going to have to launch a new browsing uh, menu service for that show because there's so many episodes and you don't scroll through like the seasons like you would because the content like you would as traditional netflix show like you, people don't find Seinfeld episodes that way. They want to kind of just watch. They're all evergreen. You kind of want to watch a random one. So maybe like a random Seinfeld or a, a different way to present mm. the Seinfeld episodes in, in playlists or 
or they, they want people not just kind of watching through in order. They want people just to happen onto a Seinfeld episode, hmm. which I feel like, again, like is the right way to do it. Uh, also, um, Disney Plus gets a, a a new show added to their back catalog, at least when it's going to launch in November 12th. They have the rights to this already, but they announced that they're going to have X-Men animated series and the Fox Spider-Man. These are both Fox cartoons, the Saturday morning cartoons, Spider-Man and X-Men. No word on Iron Man and Fantastic Four, which were both also Fox animated shows. That Iron Man is pretty forgettable. Um, and that Fantastic Four. Oh, right? no. They will include. I'm sorry. It will include. Yeah. And Fantastic Four. I've turned Four, around. And Silver Surfer and Incredible Hulk Ooh, and Spider-Man S- and Amazing Friends. Oh, this that is Silver good. Surfer one is bad Wait, as no, a big Silver Surfer. These are all car- cartoons? They're yeah. cartoons. These are the ones I grew up with in the early 90s. How do you the know? X-Men one has the best theme song. Mm-hmm. You watch this? Yeah. Saturday morning. Yeah. Reed Richards is elastic. Yeah, this Sue can blend or can hide from sight. Johnny's the human torch. The thing just loves to fight. Call on the four. Do, 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 do. Fantastic four. That's all I got. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, the Spider-Man show was underrated, too. I thought it was very good. Spider-Man they, like, did really, like really good. Secret Wars and all they sorts of crazy stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, there's a great finale where Spider-Man enters our world and meets Stan Lee. Voiced by Stan Lee. Oh, I believe it. And and tells him, you know, I'm your creator. I thank you for creating me. And, and then web slings with him. And all these, these are all Marvel. Well, these are all Marvel that were licensed to Fox, and when Fox did these animated shows, just like Fox did Batman animated series. But now they're back in the Disney family yeah. gotcha. because of the acquisition, yeah, yeah. and so they will be part of Disney Plus, along gotcha. with classics like huh. Ducktales, Darkwing Duck, Tailspin. Woo-hoo. Your, your your Disney afternoon shows, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and most importantly, Gargoyles. Oh, Gargoyles is very good. Very good. Yeah, Keith huh. Davis yeah. talked about one. Jonathan Franks back. and Marina Oh, it was Sirdis. basically all of the Star Trek Dorn cast. Really? Doing voices, yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. Huh. This is just making Disney Plus sound better. Well, They're really coming, coming in heavy with yeah. the content. They're not getting that Batman show, though, right? The, no. The... Mark Batman Hamill. the anim- animated, yeah, the series. animated series with Mark Hamill as the Joker. Are they not? I don't think it's, that's that, owned by. Oh no, that would it's be Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers. That would be Warner Brothers animation. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, there's a. Do you see this trailer for uh, the uh, Paul Rudd movie on Netflix? I'm really excited about this. It's called Living with Yourself. Um, I'm not going to spoil much. Like the trailers dropped. Um, it's about a kind of down on your luck Paul Rudd type who ends up cloning himself so you'll have a second person to deal with the crappy parts of his life. That's not the plot at all. It looks like from the trailer, he goes to this... I'm sure that's how it's going (laughs) to end. No, it's it's not exactly multiplicity. It's more prestige. These are the top results. Oh, is that me? Yeah, that's you. That's you. That's you. What's he talking about the top results? I didn't... I don't don't know. Where's your phone? So, the trailer plays out as Paul Rudd's unhappy with his life, and he goes to some some clinic to transform himself, to be happier. And he wakes up happier, and he goes home, and it turns out that that Paul Rudd that went home that's happier is a new Paul Rudd. And the old Paul Rudd who was unhappy, they just threw him in a ditch. But he climbed out, Kill Bill style. Kill Bill yeah. Volume Two style. I feel like that's that's but that's more different. Of a he didn't intention. Tale. So it, it's different because multiplicity. Michael Keaton clones himself to 
yeah, to help to do, you know do more tasks and to help spread his, his busy life, and then it gets confusing. It's more prestige in that the clone is supposed to replace the original, but in this case, the original doesn't die, and the original wants to live. So also like the Sixth Day, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I am sure that a third Paul Rudd is going to show up somewhere in this. You show. think so? I'm sure of it. They have the technology. We have to Spread bet something. Clone Paul Rudd. Bet something just not a trivial about this. There will be a third Paul Rudd. Yeah. Guaranteed. Mm. So what, Still into it. Why do you watch this movie? Do you watch it for the special effects? Like, you watch it for Paul Rudd acting against Paul Rudd. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's. I guess you're probably right. But, of course, he's not acting against Paul Rudd. He's acting against, you know, nobody or a stand-in. And so that's interesting. But, you know, you used to watch these movies to see how they actually get them on the same screen together. That was movie magic. I think people kind of take that for granted now, but yeah, yeah. I, I still thank watch you, it. Social Network. I kind of watch it for that too. Yeah, there are plenty of movies where people don't realize a lot of the actors are portrayed by the same actors, and it, it is an acting challenge. I think actors really love that. And if it's a good script, then yeah. Uh, we watched a short film earlier, right before recording a podcast. It's called Jurassic World: Battle at Big Rock. This is an eight-minute short film directed by Colin Trevino, who directed the first Jurassic World, and is coming back to direct the third one. And after being released from his obligation to direct episode nine, thank you, JJ Abrams, for coming in there. So, Jurassic World the third is still in production. I think it's coming out in 2021. That's two years from now, June 2021. But while they're in production, they decide to film this kind of stopgap story. So it's not a trailer or a teaser. This no, is a totally separate little side story. Yes, and the timing is kind of curious because they're not making any kind of announcement with this not a casting announcement uh, we don't assume that any of these characters are in this short film it's a very self-contained small story uh, so are anything could it? happen to these characters when you yes. watch it yeah yeah and uh, if you saw jurassic world fallen kingdom the end of that film really laid out the groundwork for what this new trilogy is supposed to be about why they call it jurassic world it's not because there's no park it's about dinosaurs inhabiting our world. Didn't they do that in The Lost World? Jurassic Park? Spielberg? Yeah, it's the same idea. But now, uh, it's, it's, it's remixed again. So, this short story, it's, it's alright. Yeah, there's good, good dinosaur effects. It was expensive. It, it, it looked, <laughs> That's it my looked really polished. Yeah, didn't look like a fan film. Look, look, look good. Jeremy was having none of it. I didn't buy it. I didn't believe a minute of it. Yeah, I think a, a lot of... <laughs> It it lacked the Spielberg face. Yes, exactly. Yes, like Spielberg shoots children from the right angle and makes them look... <laughs> Spielberg shoots children. And <laughs> with a camera. And he makes them look in the right direction, puts them on the right light, and gets them through whatever conversation he has beforehand to give the right expression. Some directoral alchemy. Yes, exactly. He says... A, um, uh, he gives, it's, it's directing, right? And the awe and wonder... You know, that you get from Stan, Lord Dern, head turning mm -hmm. to look at the, the Brachiosauruses in Jurassic World. You want that awe or terror. You want right. that type of visceral reaction. Before even the audience sees a dinosaur, yes. it's all about watching the actors see the dinosaur. Yes. And that is more important because and that, that creates your emotion. And you felt like that was lacking. I in did. I certainly did. <laughs> you sure did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's free to watch on YouTube. Uh, and again, interesting timing. It couldn't have been cheap to make this. It's just a reminder, hey, we're still making a Jurassic World film 
come back in two years and oh my God. give us your money. Do you know what Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom made at the box office? $1.35 billion. Yes, yes. Globally. And with a 48% Rotten Tomato. People love dinosaurs. Wow. People love dinosaurs. Jeez. Yeah. People are wrong sometimes. That's okay. <laughs> oh, I love dinosaurs. They still don't address like the main problem with the movie is like, how are dinosaurs existing in a 21% oxygen environment when they clearly existed <laughs> during a time when there was about 25% oxygen? Load? Mm, yeah. You know, answer me that. <laughs> Chris saying they would all suffocate. They'd all just get like asthma. All the dinosaurs would have asthma. Life finds a way. You know, Simpsons uh, got it right when I'm, Homer sneezed on that dinosaur and it died. I'm going to apologetics this one. I'm going to say that the dinosaurs, when they were combining DNA and they were using the DNA of lizards and frogs, that was more adapted for, they, they gave them, imbued them with the, the lung capacity <laughs> and the metabolism of modern animals. I mean, now we're just talking crazy. Yeah, I mean, you're just talking about gene splicing dinosaurs who would do that how, and building how robots that, that literally pick up an egg, egg and, turn? and turn it over oh, and yeah. put it back down yeah yeah are these audio audio erotic hey that's how you get the match in the pinball machine there's an excellent jurassic park pinball machine out now if you haven't found that at your local pinball arcade you got to play it it's excellent it's excellent it's new it's the newest stern game that there is on mm. the market in the game dinosaurs walk across well I say that you have to imagine it, but there are lights on the game in the game on the playfield that in that uh, represent dinosaurs, and they walk around the playfield, and you have to avoid them. You don't avoid them. You have to rescue the staff that they're headed for. Oh, and you rescue the staff, and suddenly, like they're headed to a different place because there's a staff member in a different direction that's close by. So, it really, is in your mind though. It is very imaginative. Okay, it's a blast. But as a mechanic, as a uh, as a design decision, it's it's innovative it, it gives you a lot to do it does it does there's a jeep you have to steer the jeep yeah the, like on the play field you hit a ball it steers the jeep left or right that affects so many things about the game it's a fantastic game go find it put a dollar in it okay um a little bit more movie news uh james gunn announced the full cast for the suicide squad sequel reboot to suicide squad <laughs> a lot of returning cast members Viola Davis, you got uh, Margot Robbie, Jared Leto's not coming back as the Joker, okay. but you have Jai Courtney playing Captain Boomerang coming back, and you have a lot of interesting names. You got Pete Davidson, hmm, of SNL fame. Oh, Nathan Fillion. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan Fillion. How about that? What? In a Suicide Squad movie? Flula huh. Borg from YouTube? Yeah, Taika Waititi, not as a director, the actor. Idris Elba. Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker makes sense, of course. He's James Gunn's boy. Uh, and and also uh, Peter Capaldi. Sure. The doctor. Doctor Who's got to show up at yeah. some point. This 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 looks like some fan casting. Joel Kinnaman's back, of course. Also, there's so many names on here. What, yeah. what are these people playing? I don't know. Uh, James Gunn did have, uh, I think the last... Maybe it's not an image here, but like one of the taglines, don't get too attached. So oh, presumably yeah. a lot of these are cameo appearances. And they get Guards that get yeah. killed. Yeah. Or, or you know, just they're characters with names and faces and, and powers and maybe they get killed. There are some really good suicide story uh, stories in the in the comics and in some of the animated movies. So I'm I'm just hopeful they focus on that and not try to do too much except make it the suicide squad be done with 
Mm. We got two more stories in pop culture. One, Billy Mitchell's back. Oh God, this is great. Is, is it, it? Is it? Yes. Is it though? Let me tell you why. Because <laughs> there are so many things wrong with the world today, and there's so many important things that people are getting wrong in the world today. Do you know what's not important? Donkey Kong? Donkey Kong <laughs> and the high score, you know, record of some dude. And the fact that he is so invested in this. So give us some background. What happened? Makes me for a moment forget about all these other things that are wrong in the world and focus on this as if it's important. And I just love this escape. This is the best escapism for, for arcade nerds. Everyone knows this story. Because there was a documentary made, what, 20 years ago, The King of Kong. Uh, 15 years ago. About Steve Wiebe and Billy Mitchell, the two rival Donkey Kong players. And one's better than the other. The other's better than the other. And they have, it's a wonderful documentary. you got to see it. It turns out one of the stars of this documentary was accused of cheating, like, last year. And pretty, like, pretty well-backed up proof that he cheated. That he, he, played used, on... he used an emulator. Yeah to uh, play through the game, and then he provided the footage of him finishing Donkey Kong in record time to Twin Galaxies, this famous arcade that houses all of the records of the top times. And uh, he, all of his scores were s struck from the record. Wow. The Guinness Book of World Records. <gasps> because Guinness Book of World Records pulls their yeah, records from, from, from Twin Galaxies. Galaxies. They, they, they took it off the record, too. So now, Billy, Billy, from that moment, he said that he was innocent. He pled... Not guilty. Mm. And now he's back, and uh, he's, he's now compiled the evidence to prove his case. And he is sent, he is threatening to sue the uh, Guinness and Twin Galaxies if they don't reinstate his records. And he's provided them 156 pages of document proof, uh, supposedly proving his innocence. So if you're wondering why I haven't been saying that much during the podcast so far, it's because I've been reading some of these 156 pages <laughs> yeah it's all available online pdf it is i think the word i would use is mm -hmm. hilarious but in the sad way of hilarious like it's he billy so here's what i've learned about billy mitchell he screen grabs everything and so almost mu much of the evidence is like facebook messages and uh like text between people and then there are these really bizarre like witness certifications uh, on just like really minute details of stuff. I mean, he's screaming conspiracy or he's saying that the yeah. people who currently run twin galaxies and uh, the, the officiators there, they had a vendetta against him and only looked at certain evidence and did not look at other evidence. But at the base of it all, the footage is out there. You can see that it's emulated yeah. And not original hardware. There's parts of the story that I can't believe. So that one of his high scores is like a million fifty thousand two hundred. Yeah. And the claim is he did that at a mortgage broker's convention in Orlando. And so there's people that were at the convention that have sent in witness statements being like, I was at the mortgage broker's convention in Orlando. Like, and you just have to like stop for a second and say like Somebody put a Donkey Kong cabinet in the middle of a mortgage convention and tried to set a high score. Mm -hmm. And now he's saying that the, all the tape showings were all done as uh, recreations. Were all you? They they were used maimed because they were done for the purposes of for entertainment purposes for the documentary, for example. Oh, so he he does acknowledge that he, it was emulated begrudgingly. 
but he said that those were never the official submissions. What you saw in King of Kong oh. was done as an, a reenactment by him, of oh. course. Oh. And that all the official scores were done, like Short said, at these live events, of which there is no footage. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I wish him the best. <laughs> I really, I hope he proves his innocence and he's right. That would be wonderful. You know, Steve Wiebe is a, is a teacher to, yes. this, to this day. Yes. And people from like his students have no idea who he is. No, they do. They post it on Reddit. One well, time. occasionally yes. they, one figures it out. Right. Yeah. Right. right. But, but he's, but, he's left this life behind. Yes. Like if the, if anything, the legacy of the documentary King of Kong Fistful of Dollars is that it spawned the whole generation of people seeking that's right. perfect and, Kong. And now the, neither of these two guys are anywhere near yes, the top. Yes, exactly. People yeah. have played perfect games and, and beaten their sports. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So but for our entertainment purposes, it's wonderful. This drama, you know, continues. Billy started out as a pinball wizard. Like, because oh. that certainly there weren't the video video games to play in the mid late seventies that mm. there were in the early eighties, and uh, he was excellent. I mean, he was an excellent pinball player, and uh, then he became an arcade gamer and expert because I guess that's where the attention was. There's, it's undeniable that, and then anyone who follows his career, uh, that he's he's talented. He's gifted yeah. arcade player and pinball player. Yep. Uh, but it's kind of all been soured by. Some of the personality aspects. Well, and he was portrayed as the villain in The King of Kong. Yes. Let's yes, be honest yes, about yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, to great effect. Like, I've, I've met the guy in person, in fact. You have? Yeah, he was at one of the first, uh, he was at the first replay effects slash Pinberg that I went to. And uh, he was hawking his hot sauce. <laughs> and <laughs> Put, playing. Putting in the front of the. Donkey Kong. Front of the supermarket. Yeah. In front of the counter. Yeah. Uh, what was that other uh, documentary we watched about that? Um, Nibbles? Nibble, yeah. Yes. What was I forget the name of it, but... Oh. About Snake? No, it was, it was called... Nibbler? Nibbler. Yeah. Nibbler, Nibbler documentary. And um, shoot, what was the name of it? Man vs. Snake. Yeah. Man vs. Snake. Man vs. Snake. And, and yeah. Billy Mitchell does, in multi-day, do, uh, play big parts. And that, that one's... Highly, that one's good, too. Highly recommended. Yeah, yeah. yeah really love yeah. that Man vs. Snake documentary. Billy Mitchell's like the Dr. Dre in that one. He's like, <laughs> he's like orchestrating things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh, last bit of pop culture news. Lego Ideas, big blog posts updating their new kind of submission format and rules and some uh, some guidelines now. So Lego Ideas, of course, is the, uh, the platform run by Lego. It's an official thing where people can submit their own creations, either designs or just ideas or even a render of something. And then users can vote on them. And some of those get evaluated once they meet a certain benchmark and milestone, they get evaluated to turn into real kits. And many real kits have come out of Lego ideas. Well, it's kind of like the market is flooded there. There are so many things that people are voting on and Lego ideas needs to kind of tighten, tighten the things up a little bit. Can they right? just require more votes? Well, I, I think it's more that they want to provide guidelines for what even can be submitted. Hmm. Right, because there's so many things that are just, you know, commonplace IP that people recognize that gets upvoted, but then Lego can't do anything because they don't have the hmm. actual license to do... What's an example of that? Uh, like, stuff like there's been Monopoly submissions and, like, stuff that's related to um, um, uh, stuff where they already have licenses, like Star, Star Wars, Wars stuff. Exactly, exactly. That's so, bad? No, it's just they have to, like, there's a different kind of process and workflow when it involves IP. And so a lot of this is just saying, like, okay. when you submit your idea, you have to de just declare when you submit it, like, what IP kind of class it sort of falls under. Okay. 
uh, as a way of like streamlining the workflow. And the big thing is that if they've already evaluated that IP, if they've looked mm-hmm. at a thing and said, oh, we've made Back to the Future or we've made Ghostbusters, then really it serves no extra purpose for the users to submit them because Lego probably has something. They've, they've thought of these things. Uh, they're looking for really unique ideas. They're looking for things that are more generic. And we've seen a bunch of Lego ideas like the treehouse, the, the, the fisherman dock, like that stuff. Is what they're kind of shipping a bottle. Yeah, shipping a bottle. Favorite. Just kind of more evergreen themes, less mm-hmm. tied to uh, a, a license, uh, is what they're looking for right now. So they're kind of restructuring their submission process. That's interesting. One of the things that they don't allow is uh, things that don't fit the Lego brand, and they give two, Game exa- of Thrones. two examples of that: Game of Thrones and Call of Duty. Yeah, yeah. No guns. There are never any guns. Official yeah. guns in Lego. Just laser guns. Yes, that's true. Blasters, yes. Guns, no. Go third party for that. Anyway, that does it for our extended pop culture segment this week. And before we continue with this week's podcast, I want to let you know that Still Entitled this week is made possible. Or not Still Entitled. This is only a test. We recorded Still Entitled in, in this room earlier last week. This is only a test this week. It's made possible with support from Thinkful. If you've been thinking about quitting your job and starting a career in tech, you need to check out Thinkful. Thinkful is a tech boot camp that's building the world's next workforce. When you join Thinkful, you're supported by a team all focused on one thing, launching your new career. Whether you want to become a software engineer, product designer, data analyst, or data scientist, Thinkful's team is in it for the long haul because they know you are too. The work doesn't stop after graduation. With Thinkful, you'll have one-on-one mentors, career coaches, and a thriving local network on hand to make sure you get hired within six months. If not, Thinkful will pay your tuition back. Talk about a great guarantee. At Thinkful, they're focused on high-growth fields that are building the future of the tech industry. That's why their graduates have joined the ranks of companies like Google, Amazon, IBM, and Boeing. Now it's time to quit. Your, think about quitting your job and starting your career. Visit Thinkful.com slash only a test to start building the future you want. That's thinkful, T H I N K F U L dot com slash only a test. I have a, just to finish a thought on Billy Mitchell. The accused. I wonder. Let's imagine for a minute that he is guilty. Just imagine, hypothetically. Got it. <laughs> there. <clears throat> Think about the mind of a person who is a video game expert. Like that's a special mind. It's not like a any beautiful mind. It's not like anybody can can do this. Like I I do think that it takes a special kind of insanity to get a perfect game in pac-man or to you know get the high score a million points in donkey kong you you don't just have to memorize the patterns you have to have a certain you know approach to analyzing things and it's almost like uh you have to tease things apart in order to you have to dissect things deconstruct things deconstruct things and i imagine if he were guilty he might be able to have used all this time to dissect the evidence and find a way to prove innocence through manufacturing uh, the the right story. You mean not to work the system? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, if that's, that's what he's been doing, if he's generating a 156 page document, I'm sure he's considered all the ways to poke holes. 
That's what lawyers do. It's just, it's, it's, his skills could be put to use in proving his innocence, is my point. Yeah. Now, I could see Oscar Isaac cast as him in the, the movie. It, it is a game that he's playing. It mm. could be. It could mm. be seen. And he's in it for the long haul. Yeah. Exactly. Insurance is a big part of it. Right, exactly. If only hand dexterity and hand eye coordination was, was going to be a big part of this, too. Yeah. Okay. That's maybe, a- maybe energy better spent actually trying to beat his own scores. Ooh, I like playing, it. Yeah. Right? Live. <laughs> Live. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the phone reviews and the tech reviews that came out this week because uh, iPhones had been seeded. iPhones 11 have been seeded to early reviewers. And so I spent some time yesterday review, uh, reading some of the reviews um, and talk, uh, seeing how some of the features pan out, right? So the biggest features, of course, is the big third camera, the wide-angle camera uh, that's on the, both the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 11 series 13 millimeter equivalent is that what it was 13 millimeter equivalent 13 26 and 52 now crazy wide. very interesting um and it looks like that camera is less capable the smaller sensor the biggest sensor on the iphones are the normal wide angle camera 26 mil one not the ultra wide so that's what they're calling it in the ui one x is still 26 mil and mm-hmm. they call it 0.5 x it's a weird hmm. terminology right they don't want to surface the millimeter, the, fo- the focal length. Yeah. They just want to surface the standard, like 1X being standard, is 26 mil okay. equivalent on that. Uh, so the wide angle looks good, though. It's definitely a different per- type of view. You're going to get a lot closer subjects. doesn't have optical image stabilization, but uh, you can do, like what you saw in the commercial they made with the cars, the wide angle stuff. You can do some pretty good wide angle video as well. The night mode is the other big thing. This is the, the feature that automatically turns on when this camera sensor is, uh, the camera app thinks the scene is really dark and then it's like a three second countdown. So you have some video of the UI now where you press the shutter button and you actually see a little bar go count down three seconds. You're supposed to hold your phone as still as you can. It'll take as much information and it stitches it. up to 12 images together to get hmm. you uh, a good looking low light image cool uh, image from it low light and there are a lot of comparisons between that and the pixel 3 yeah you like that and you know what yes you get more visual detail i think in the iphone image like there are some great photos of like brick walls you see more of the brick wall detail uh-huh. in the night mode versus night sight on the pixel hmm. but night sight i think still gets you better exposure I, I like, like, when I was looking at some of the comparison images, I'm like, ooh, the, the Pixel 3, they get this wrong, because I like the look of the Pixel 3 one. The, the light isn't overblown. They, they, night mode on iPhone almost does like night for day, where it's almost like too, too, uh, the gamma's too high on a, on a nighttime picture. It, I mean, this is all software at this point, though. So the, you would, but you can't tune it. No, They're but you would, it. you would say like they could tune it. They could, but, they determine this is what they think people want. And I'm saying from just my eye, mm. I think sometimes a night image, yeah, you want people to see people's faces and you want the candlelight or the street light to get as much light from that as possible. But I don't want it to look, I don't want scenes to look blown out. A, a classic image is if you look at some of these comparison pictures and they take pictures of buildings at night, you can see like what a skyscraper looks like at night from b- both these cameras. And there's a skyscraper and behind it, there's the, uh, the blue of the sky behind it. I think on the iPhone pictures, the blue sky is too bright. It's not necessarily grainy. It's just really, it doesn't, it looks, it looks almost unnatural 
to me. Does the does the HDR composition look uh, distracting? Because a lot of times with the iPhone HDR photos, you have these halos around objects and contrast is just wrong. So that's different because that's HDR. And yeah. I'll get to that in a second with some of those comparison images. But isn't this, you said it's taking 12 photos. I imagine it's the same kind of process of compositing. Like, it is compositing, bracketed. but it's not, a, I mean, I think they want to separate it from HDR because there's some semantic learning that they're doing here. Mm-hmm. Like that's a face and they're going to bring out the shadows mm-hmm. there. It's not just taking the raw different exposures and combining them. They're doing it technically. They are combining exposures um, of different exposure lengths. And the, uh, the technical feature is that all three of these cameras can go up to one second exposures now, which is much higher than previously. Like literally, like you can do a second. long exposure of a second. and you'll- It won't be transparent to you, but tech, the sensor will allow okay. for up to a one second in the back end. Gotcha. And camera apps may be able to tap. That'd be cool. Camera camera app, capital C, capital A, what Apple puts on their phones by default, will not let you say long exposure. Because up until now, the third-party camera apps doing long exposure, the best you can get are like a bunch of of blurry images. So I just put up the night sight photos from The Verge of like a skyscraper of the 11 Pro versus the Pixel 3. And I, I like the one on the right more. I like the Pixel 3 image more. Yeah, I see what you mean from the image. You can definitely see more details in the 11 Pro picture. Scroll scroll, scroll up. There's specifically a skyscraper shot where in the windows of the skyscraper on the iPhone image, it looked more blown out. I don't know if they, it's included in, in this. And I, I my, my gut says, yeah, even if that right there. On the right side, you can see inside the buildings. On the left side, you can't see inside the buildings. On the iPhone pictures, the, the night mode pictures, you can't see. It still looks blown out from the interior lights of these apartments and the skyscrapers. On the right side with the Pixel 3 night sight, it actually tones down the, the, the highs, the highlights. Right. And you can actually see inside but some on, of these rooms. On the 11 Pro picture, you can see in the foreground where it's really dark on the bench. You can see more detail on that yes. bench. So again, I go back to, I think you do get more detail from the from night mode on the iPhone, but subjectively, I like the Pixel 3 images more. I mean, to me, I think for the average user, there's not going to be much of a difference between these two because you, you don't have both phones. You're not doing a comparison. You're this watching pr- the phone on, you're watching the image on the phone that you shot it on. Yeah, I think this is just really a really big leap forward for iPhone users. Yeah, this is real, what the experience is. The real comparison is to not have the feature and compared to having it, I think it's fantastic. So compared I, to the previous, previous generation. Yep, compared to my phone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the that's, not, I'm going to say a problem with the reviews because they it does from a technology standpoint make sense to compare between two different companies. But the people buying the iPhones are not the people in the market for the Pixel Three, and obviously timing isn't great because Pixel Four is going to be announced October 15th. That's other news story for, for on the Google side, and that's going to have multiple cameras and presumably an updated version of Night Sight. But you're right; it's for people who have the 10s or the 10 or the 7 or the 6s. You know, this new feature is overdue. I think you could say, yep. because Google had it for a year. And so it's good for iPhone users that Apple is putting more thought. Obviously, computational photography is a big thing for them. Something that wasn't advertised, and it was rumored, and it actually did make it as a feature, is if on, uh, on the iPhones now that has a wide-angle camera, if you turn on a setting in, uh, in the camera app, and you take a standard 1x photo, it will also take a photo in the point of the wide ultra-wide angle and save that as extra data 
in the image file. Hmm. So if you want to rotate, uh, rotate the image, yeah. you can actually rotate it fully. Interesting. Yeah. That's nice. Oh, that's awesome. So you don't have to crop in. Yes, but the question is, does that extra data get saved when you upload to iCloud? Like portrait data is not saved when you upload to Probably iCloud. Probably not. Hmm. But it does open up more third-party apps doing something with the raw information that the, the camera is collecting. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you know yet if you can... It seems like the, their new feature is when you're taking photos, if you hold it down, you take a video yeah. without switching to video mode. You swipe up to do a video. So you can still do rapid shots? Yes, if you don't swipe up. Excellent. So the video mode is if you hold down and slide it. Really? Yes. Okay, great. I just want to make sure you can still do rapid shots. Yeah. All right. Uh, other things that have now been apparent since, uh, since the announcement, uh, the multiple camera recording that we thought was only a feature because yeah. uh, for uh, the, new, the new processor is going to make its way over to the 10R and the 10S, last year's cameras, but it's only restricted, like in the new phones, to two camera sensors mm. being recorded at once. They said there's a lot of work for them to do this, but this is good for people who have last year's phones who are going to be able to record the front camera, the back camera. There's a whole, like, matrix chart you can see of like what combination of camera sensors you can activate at the same time i don't know it's gonna be fully useful for a lot of people but um i mean or more having more data <laughs> you know what would be interesting is if you had some sort of lens attachment that you plopped on the top of your phone that gave both cameras super wide angles and then did 360 capture you know, converted, uh, stitched together both of those footages into a single 360 scene oh you mean the front and the back yeah yeah, I don't, I don't see why that could. That's, that's a Kickstarter idea. Yeah, it'd be a pretty inexpensive 360 capture, right? If, if you had the phone, obviously. But you would then need the software to do 360 off of my phone. Well, no, you just take you those video footages yeah. off the phone and stitch you them on your stitch. PC. Right, right. That's yeah. that's not how it, that's not what iPhone users do. They want everything on the phone. Yeah, probably right. Yeah. Um, other thing, um, the we didn't mention this when we talked about the announcement. They remove 3D touch. So they removed this feature that was brought in with the 6S, I believe, the force touch. You mm -hmm. press hard on the screen, you get a little taptic feedback. I think people weren't using it as oh, much as, I as mean, they thought. There were two big places where people used it. There were? One on the lock screen to activate the shortcuts, the flashlight, and the quick access to camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but now they just have those. No, now you have to just do a long press and the okay. impressions are that the long press is noticeably more la laggy. See, they're, they're right yeah, down yeah. there, like right, by right. default. But, but how oh, you launch you have to hard, yeah, yeah, you hard right. press I see what to mean. launch it. And now you have to long press to launch that, those shortcuts. And you know what? Because my iPad mini never had 3D touch, and yeah. it was already doing long press for a lot of things, I've mm -hmm. gotten used to that. And I'm, I'm happy that now all devices just have this. It is a rare feature that Apple touted as a big selling point of a phone, and then they took away because they wanted to use that space for battery. Uh, really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I, I figured it was a like a no one was using it right kind of thing. No, I, I mean that was definitely part of it. That it wasn't surfaced. The the like people don't know. Most people didn't know that you could hard press on the keyboard and move the cursor. That's yeah. one of the, the other best use case for 3D touch. And now you can long press on the space bar, right. which lets you move the cursor. I'm gonna miss that feature. Yeah. Really? Like that, that's something I use all the time. You don't think you'll get used to using the space bar? I'm sure eventually, but change, change is scary. Okay. Change is scary. Uh, another thing that wasn't widely mentioned is a new chip and the ultra-wide band U1 chip inside the new phones. This is an interesting piece of technology. 
So it's mentioned on Apple's product pages. It's a trip, a chip that allows for far better positional tracking, mm-hmm. location tracking than Bluetooth or cell tower triangulation or, or GPS even it allows up to four centimeters of accuracy. 10 centimeters, four inches, four inches, 10 centimeters. But it can, it, it, I think, I think under certain conditions, it can get pretty close to like even, even smaller than that. Wait a minute. Now. I understand that it can tell the, how far away you are from something, but yeah. does it not also tell you the direction of it? It does. Like that's what blows my mind. So the way it's being used currently or the way it will be used initially is for phones that have this, you can point at another person's iPhone and who has an 11 who has who has the 11 yeah. and and they will recognize that they are pointed at each other and that will then prioritize uh airdrops the, uh, or whatever airdrop. exactly that's i mean that's that's magic i don't know how it does that uh it does it um let me see if i remember this correctly it does it by measuring ah yes bluetooth location tracking measured um d- uh distance from you yeah. by s- signal strength mhm and so when it would send the signal and you would like you would uh, look at how strong in in like milliamps the uh the the signal is coming from any object but that was unsecure because it, it then allowed for those signals and that distance to be spoofed by stronger signals like people yeah. generating stronger signals elsewhere with this it's time uh signal time and back so they emit the signal and then it comes back to your phone and they measure that time. Uh, okay. travel it's a distance. radio signal that's using the speed of light, which is, you know, you can't really spoof it because it's just the speed of light. Okay, but that, that tells me distance, not direction. And when it comes back, they detect the angle of arrival of the, of the radio wave. Using what? <laughs> Technology. <laughs> All right. Once again. They, uh, it, it says, I actually don't understand this. It says they measure the phase shift that comes in um, by using multiple antennas. So by having multiple radio antennas as it comes back, they're able to compute the, the difference between the the phases and actually compute the angle. So those additional antennas or whatever they're using it to detect are, is new to the eleven. That's really interesting. And uh, the long-held rumor was that this is something that would be launched alongside these tags that Apple might be releasing, these kind of hardware pucks that get attached to things that then help you locate objects. It's like, find my phone, but find my anything. Are they active, the tags? I don't know. I mean, they obviously did not allow, uh, announce it. Uh, and then the long-term benefits of this, once they refine the technology and once they are at scale, because, you know, there'll be tens of millions of these phones and devices and presumably eventually hundreds of millions of these out in the world, is that it may have applications for Apple's future AR glasses. So the hmm. AR glasses will come with things positionally tracked in the world already. Not only your local objects, which they'll use SLAM and computer vision and some uh, computational vision to uh, to to analyze, but also, you know, objects very far away from you and out in the world, um, much more precise than GPS. Hmm. Great, yeah, they're they're kind of sneaking in all the AR stuff, all the killer app, all the all the all the foundations needed for killer app AR uh, now, so that when the, when they solve the optics problem, they won't have a chicken and egg problem. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. 
Yeah, it sounds very Apple. Uh, on the software side, you had Apple Arcade reviews out. And in fact, a lot of people, some people got access to Apple Arcade early. We're able to actually purchase it and get access to... Was that just an accident? How I, do you do that? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Are you going to try? Well, it's got to be in the beta, right? You, get, you need the new iOS. You do need the I, yeah. new iOS. Yes, yes. But uh, reviewers got to play a sampling of their games. And uh, Davinger Hardware over at Engadget had a great roundup of some of the favorite games. And actually, reading his article... Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say convinced me to get Apple Arcade, but makes me more interested for sure. Because the game, like the four or five games that are described, like I would play, I would play these. Yeah. I don't know if I would, I still don't know if I want to pay $5 a month. Don't you get a free them. month? Why wouldn't you try? I, I might try them for a free month. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't wait for this. Just not, not for me though, for my kids, just because my, like they keep coming at me with these ad supported games. Everything's, everything's free nowadays. Right. And some of these games are going to make it onto the platforms. Not all of them are exclusive. Some will be like 25 bucks on, on switch or, or other, other uh, consoles. So wait, but timed exclusive to arcade or no, um, they come out arcade first, but they will come out. Yeah. Later. Okay. Yeah. On, on switch or they haven't announced prices or, or so some will be exclusive. Some will just be games that are part of the service. Still curious how much Apple funded these games. They will not say, I know. I know. I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, but it does sound like there's polish, and these could be games that, you know, I think they want to get people back in the culture of playing more games on iOS. <laughs> trying more, playing more. You know, you, it, can't, it can't just be, what's that one, that the runner, running one? The Endless Runner? Oh, yeah. It, Which one? Cannabalt? No. The one where you're running in the jungle, away from the monkeys? Yeah. Jungle Run? Jungle Run sounds right. Some of those? Yeah. Island Run? Yeah. <laughs> I forget. It can't just be that all the time now. Yeah. Uh, other game news. Discord has ended its game subscription service. People just weren't using it. That's too bad. They're, uh, it was a service to, to sell games. Uh, they're kind of now really pushing their Nitro subscription service. I wonder how many acquisition offers they get. I'm sure it's a lot. Yeah, because it's such a great company that you'd want to be a part of your service. How? Do, I mean, they need to also make money. Yeah, the, the nitro service. I mean, and, and people are like, you see it way more. It, it's it's kind of crazy when you talk to developers. Like, just join our Discord. Join our Discord. It's like it reminds me of 20 years ago when it's like join our IRC. But it's like, like a, well, it was never mainstream. It's and not just developers. So it's like every person on Patreon. That's what I was going to say. It's yeah. like integrated in Patreon. Yes. Yes. It's it's community forums it has replaced forums at the live chat room and, and these channels and it's it's done very well or at least it lives side by side them yeah yeah it's replaced uh, irc oh for sure yeah I'm, I'm sure people still use irc i know certainly the nerds do yeah. like the hardcore but it never that never hit mainstream no yeah. uh let's jump forward to some movie stuff hey oh this could have been a top story this week movie pass finally dead september it's done Wait, it might already have happened. September 14th, it's done. 14th, it's done. It's done. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Yeah, <laughs> not <wins>. sorry. <laughs> there it is. What a scam. Yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah, it was a bad idea. Uh, we talked about the Pixel 4 event. This is October 15th. Google has sent out invites. So the expectation is Pixel 4, Pixel Book 2, new Google Assistant speakers. Pixel 4 with Face ID. That's oh, the for, big, yeah. that's going to be the big uh, component. Obviously, it has like, you know, a bunch of new cameras on the back, too. We've seen this sort of like square of cameras back there. 
So I mean, assume something on that front. But it's really the face ID. They're is, doing the reverse of what Apple did. Apple caught up on Night Sight. <laughs> Google's catching up on Face ID. Face Unlock, right? Which yeah. Android phones have had for for a while to various degrees yeah. of success and security. Uh, it also, unlike Apple, the, none of this is secret. Like no. all of this other people have the phones. Early people in, uh, overseas have access somehow to the hardware. The videos are out showing some of the features. You know, this event. They're and, out in the wild. Like there's yes. so many photos of yeah. people carrying them around. So yeah, this is a, a formal announcement and more about pricing and availability. That's I'm curious about. about the pickle book too. Um, because, you know, they've essentially exited the tablet world. And so I'm, I'm kind of seeing, I'm curious which way they're going with the, with this laptop because it was expensive. And I don't think Pixelbook one really did that well commercially. So very curious. Mm-hmm. Facebook has uh, a new hard piece of hardware, the Portal TV, along with some other Portal devices. But this is uh, the big flagship one is an attachment to your big screen TV, 150 bucks, and it turns your TV into a teleconferencing device. Seems like something that's... Wait, into a what? Into a teleconferencing device. Oh. So you can do face chat on your TV uh, over Facebook Messenger, and you can do some watch-alongs. So uh, you can watch Facebook watch videos while also chatting with with friends. Is it walled, though? So it's not um, portable to other services? I think it is only Facebook Watch. Uh, and I think the chat is only through Messenger video chat and encrypted WhatsApp, WhatsApp video calls. I'm not surprised by that. But if it's walled in terms of the watch-along content yeah. providers, that's less interesting. Yeah, much less interesting. And then they have some other stuff, um, so if, you know, portal stuff with screens built in, swivel screens are, you know, up to 300 bucks. Uh, I've never used one. Have you? Ones. I haven't. One of the big features was they did the AI tracking of faces, and that always seemed a little bit, you know, unsettling to me. Mm-hmm. Being yeah. watched. Well, and also being tracked, that kind of face tracking. Yes. Yeah, I don't think I, I need that. I, I like the idea if it's going to have a camera, I can walk up to it, right? Opt in to show your face rather than it knows where your face is and it's putting a camera on you uh, at all times. Uh, on the AR side, uh, there are some AR core updates. I decided to do this in tech news and not VR minute. Um, and AR core has a new, uh, what they call persistent cloud anchors. Uh, these are ways that when it recognizes the world through its slam, you can now fix things in the world that's persistent and on the back end. So when you launch other apps or come back later, it will always lock a virtual object to that place. Neat. Right, it's kind of essential, a part of what you'll need for AR. If you're building a, you know, a, a layer of mixed reality on top of reality, you're going to need yep. a system not only to recognize the rooms you're in, mm-hmm. you know, like you imagine that the the Facebook, like the Oculus Quest does, mm-hmm. uh, but also be able to anchor things on surfaces and have a semantic understanding of what those surfaces are. Yeah, great. Uh, few rumors. Microsoft has an event coming up for Surface device. Now, I don't think this is going to be part of it, but they did patent a new type of hinge for future foldable Surface device, liquid hinges. It, this is just from a patent, so yeah. we should take it with a grain of salt. But the idea is that having this sort of liquid layer in between the mechanical hinge would help reduce stress on a foldable screen. Hmm. I don't know yeah. if it works. I, I mean, it, it's. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of mechanical problems with Microsoft's attachable hinges. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure they're thinking into the future 
for something that has was maybe even less prone to failure or cheaper to make or um, something that's just easier to use. Uh, the Samsung Galaxy Note Fold is on sale now, and reports are it's selling out in Korea at least, and people paying up to four thousand dollars. What for a Note Fold in Korea? That feels a little bit like, like a localized Scarcity phenomenon. Play? Yeah. Right. I don't. I can't imagine that would be the case here in the states. Uh, a bit of Amazon news. This comes from Fast Company. Fast Company reports that Amazon for their smart device Home Assistant will, in the near future, allow people to submit user-generated trivia answers to questions. And then have that pipe through the smart assistant. Yeah, what does this mean? Like, I'm actually going to hear Bob Wilkin, like, explain to me. No. It, no. it will all be read through the existing smart assistant, uh-huh. but they will qualify it with, according to an Amazon customer, mm. this fact. Jeremy, do you remember Yahoo Answers? Yeah, sure. So, I think Amazon is building a version of that. I've gotten, you can ask questions on Amazon and get other customer responses. And Alexa will inform you when there's a new one. So the only new thing here is that she's going to actually read it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it will be more formalized as, you know, the surfaced best case answer. I mean, I'm not afraid of this. All the Alexa stuff is human curated anyway. It's not like there's like, it's, it's all information and facts as curated by the the mega corporation. Yeah, I'm not terribly worried about this either. Well, unless like someone's gaming the system for some obscure fact and and some. But gaming it for like what is the thing you're yeah. gaming around is right. Like, right. like as long as they get like basic facts like how far the Earth is from the sun, like kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, I, mm-hmm. I don't mind this. I mean, even like uh, to not get political about it, but even Wikipedia is is curated to some extent by the, the people who kind of uh, gatekeep yep in, in that community right how much in the how much information is the biggest thing not whether a piece of fact is true but like what gets through that that curation process and how much how filled out a section could be that's all you know that's that, that is not really transparent to the user um, and I read a really interesting story business insider had a profile on on minecraft I had no idea. Minecraft has grown in popularity since Microsoft bought it. And it has over 112 million players a month. Active. Active players. That's nuts. That's a ridiculous number. Isn't that crazy? Across all its platforms, though. Free on many platforms. Paid on many platforms. But there's an endurance to Minecraft, like even though there are phenomenons like Fortnite and PUBG and all other games that kids might play and adults might play, Minecraft seems to be the one that a lot of people just return to. Yeah, it's like this is like the uh, the Lego of video games. I mean, and it's yeah. it has stuck. Like there have been other games that have come along that have been construction sets, but like you know, Facebook had social networks before it. It seems like Minecraft might be the one that really has is going to stick around. My question is. We've seen the like the ray traced Minecraft, how good it can look, and Nvidia is pushing out like Minecraft RTX yep. as as a potential up, update, right? Optional upgrade. Will Minecraft could Minecraft survive if there was a graphical overhaul, or does Minecraft need to be those? There's so many graphics. graphical overhauls you can apply to Minecraft. 
is already texture packs galore. Mm, and that's, it's still, as long as it's blocky, as long as it's still these kind of... Uh, it's blo- not... The, yeah. blo- the gameplay I don't think people, it's. I don't think it's really? the look. I think that it is the mechanic of building and destroying anything. These voxels, the world being made of things that are malleable. Mm. You know? And, and being so low res, being the cubes, I think the fact that it's so low res spatially that makes it so approachable. People understand how things can be built because yeah. it's... Legos. Because it's, yeah, it's built giant building blocks. Hmm. Alrighty. Uh, that does it for technology news. And I want to give a shout out to the other sponsor that makes this week's episode of The Stillian Test possible, and that's Evident. Evident is revolutionizing the way personal data is shared. Evident provides a simple, secure platform that lets businesses confidently know who they are dealing with without handling sensitive personal data. With connections to thousands of authoritative sources through a single API, Evident is the only platform that enables comprehensive, accurate, and up-to-date identity and credential verifications. Companies can create a solid foundation of trust and security on their platform, allowing them to seamlessly verify workers in less time and with more Confidence. Businesses can stay up to date on any changes to relevant information as well as readily adapt if and when compliance requirements evolve. Evident is bringing confidence and peace of mind to personal data interactions across the globe. Verify anything without the risk and expense of handling sensitive personal data from identity verifications to background checks and everything in between. Businesses of all sizes can get the answers they need with Evident. Check out evidentid.com slash test to sign up and get started immediately. That's evident, E-V-I-D-E-N-T, ID.com slash test to sign up and start running verifications in minutes. Now it's time for a moment of science. You remember Vanta Black? Oh, the Black is Black, the one that the artists got yes. the rights to. Yeah, there is um he's not really an artist. This guy Anish Kapoor bought the rights to it and has been famously preventing artists from using it. Now, uh Vanta Black used essentially carbon nanotubes so that when light hits it, it would bounce around these layered tubes and the light would be dissipated as heat. Um and it captured 99.965% of the light that came through. So close. Well, MIT, in a recent blog post, some scientists there, uh, better aligned uh, the, the carbon nanotubes vertically and have released a product um, that is 99.995% effective at uh, reducing the wow. incoming light. Uh, they grew it on this sort of like etched aluminum foil, which I think is interesting. You can actually go see this product. Where? Um, outside the New York Stack Exchange, and I'm putting oh. a picture up, there is a art exhibit. I think this is the kind of thing you have to see in person. Yeah, there is an art exhibit. Yeah, putting it up on the screen is pretty hilarious. But uh, they have a, they found, they have in this art exhibit, a $2 million diamond mm-hmm. that's about 12 carats. Oh, and they heavy. coated it with this black material <gasps> because art. Capitalism, maybe? I don't know. Something. How? I mean, this sounds like the plot of the next Oceans film. You just go in. I feel like Nick Cage is coming in hot with, on a na- <laughs> national treasure wait, ride. It's like the Emperor's New Clothes, though. How, how are you to tell me there's a diamond there? I can't see it. 
oh, but you can kind of see it because it's so black that the black surrounding it is ridiculous. I want to highlight this other story that big was from a while ago. Anish Kapoor with his Vanta black partnered with an art gallery to make a Looney Tunes size black hole in a art exhibit. It was just super black and flat. There is an actual eight foot hole that was, that's part of this black hole just on the ground and someone fell into it. Wait, why? Wait, wait. So the, <laughs> art, the, the art exhibition was painting the black hole and then next to it or adjacent to it in the same exhibit was a real hole? No, no. There's a real hole and it was painted with the Vanta black, so it looks like two-dimensional. It looks Got Looney Tunes. It. Oh. But it's a real hole. You can't see the depth because there's no light being emitted from it. And somebody I mean, it's an art exhibit, so some some fool just like crossed oh, yeah. up some line and fell into it. But you I know, just think it's uh, speaking of art, I saw that movie um uh, Velvet Buzzsaw over the weekend. Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, Rene Russo is the director of Nightcrawler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a kind of a horror a slasher a satire on uh, the world of like high, like you know, uh, high art, uh, modern art, and, and, and this feels very appropriate to that. Mm. Yeah, it's a great companion to the documentary, the price of Ever- uh, the price of everything. Mm. A tested listener actually submitted a a story they wanted to hear about back in two thousand ten. Um, a physis- a set of physicists in Germany, led by Randolph, Randolph Pohl, uh, tried to see uh, if they could get a better, more precise measurement of how big the proton is. And what they did is they took a hydrogen atom and replaced the electron surrounding it uh, with a muon, which is a different elementary particle, uh, and then actually used that muon to estimate the size of the proton at the centimeter uh, based on just sort of like different measuring techniques. And they found that the proton size to be mm-hmm. 0.84 femtometers in radius, which is 4% smaller than what we thought the proton size should be. Interesting. Which opened up the possibility of is there some weird thing happening where a muon is actually interacting with a proton, which has never been thought of before. It's actually like somehow like exerting some force. They should not have any sort of force relationship in that kind of way. Well, a paper came out on September 6th um, from a team that measured uh, this, again, led by Eric Hessels at the York University in Toronto. uh, And he replicated the experiment and he found the same exact measurement that the German team did. 4% off. Mm. Yeah. And what it indicates is that what we thought the size of the proton was, was wrong. It's not that uh, the proton actually shrunk by 4% when the muon was involved. It's just that the proton was smaller than we thought. So okay. And we had a incorrect measurement. And so this basically eliminated the idea that the muon and proton were interacting in some way that led to a shrinking in size, but confirmed the fact that we had the wrong measurement for the proton. Like, think about what I'm saying, though. It's like, we didn't know the size of the proton. Well, by 4%. That's a big, like, it's the proton. It's not some, like... You gotta cut scientists some slack. Never, never. 4% is nothing. I don't know. It's a, it's a, proton everyone makes mistakes oh yes it'd be like somebody coming out and be like hey that electron charge we got that wrong by four (laughs) percent 
anyways, I thought that was a, just a fascinating story because it points to the fundamental nature of, um, uh, of, of physics. I understand scientists love learning that they're wrong because it means they've learned something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm putting up a video of what's called a chain cat shark. Uh, this is a shark that lives uh, near the bottom of the ocean floor. Kill it. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, you might notice, if you're watching the screen, that this shark is glowing. Oh. Uh, it's like uh, highly fluorescent in, in its nature. Uh, the reason uh, actually came out in a uh, recent story. So uh, there are a number of fish that actually glow um on the on the sea floor it's not just the shark there's a bunch of fish that do it um i'm going to try to pause the video on on one of them right there um but why has always been in question like most of them were thought to have these proteins that that actually cause the glowing they discovered that it's not from a protein it's actually from an amino acid called tryptophan you've heard of tryptophan Come on, Thanksgiving's coming up. Yeah, yeah, turkey. Uh, which is an, a, an acid that goes to create proteins, but it creates this, uh, uh, in this shark, it creates a compound called kynura, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, kynuraanine, which releases this green glow. So it's not for the reasons we expected. They found a different way. And... This is horrifying. The reason it glows this color is that light at the bottom of this ocean has kind of a blue hue because of how it sort of reflects uh, and reflects to the ocean floor. And this is the color it emits when we um, take video of it. It's crazy. Love science. I love glowing animals. I love glow in the dark anyway. But the fact that they're alive is awesome. Well, I'm about to have the ultimate glow experience. I can't make this stop. Um, uh, in the sense that I'm going to New Zealand in the spring oh, and I'm going, finally going yes. to those glow worm caves. Hey, they might be filming the, new, oh. filming the new Lord of the Rings show there. Wow. Oh, can I not? I won't be allowed to Hobbiton then? No, I don't know if they're using the same locations. You need to take Norm's new phone and do a night shot comparison for us of the glow worms. Did you go to the glow worm caves? I did not. Oh, no. All right. Do we have any more ads? No. All right. The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. So probably the biggest story of VR from last week, we didn't get a chance to touch on it. It happened right after we recorded the podcast. But HTC has announced uh, pre-sale availability and more details and launch for the HTC Vive Cosmos. This is the not only is the big follow-up, uh, the successor to the original HTC Vive, but it actually replaces the HTC Vive in the marketplace. The Vive is going away. The Vive Pro will be still be around. The Vive Pro I, I think, will still be around as well. But it's going to come out on October 3rd, so in like two weeks' time, mm-hmm. and it's $700. So it's HTC Vive Cosmos. This is not the competitor to... The uh, the quest. The this is not quest. standalone. This is not PC powered. Yes. All right. For now, it gets a little bit complicated. Mm-hmm. It's PC. It runs off of a PC uh, for now, uh, and it has. It's the biggest feature is that it's inside out tracking. So, in fact, it's probably more apt to compare it to the Rift S, mm-hmm. although 
spec-wise, it is uh, higher quality than the Rift S. The strap looks paper. the strap looks a lot like the Halo uh, Halo strap. strap. Looks yes, just like the Rift S. Halo strap like the Rift S, but there's also going to be a top strap as well mm-hmm. if you want to get the top strap of your head. Built-in headphones, which they say are better quality than the Deluxe Audio head strap headphones they look very similar at least from a design perspective and it does inside out tracking with six cameras that's a lot of cameras two cameras in front two cameras on the side and then camera top and bottom so people got to go hands-on with this last week uh we're going to go soon after recording this podcast so hopefully we'll have some impressions uh before the end of the week on next episode of projections uh but it is available for pre-order 700 bucks and uh and will come out october 3rd the screen resolution is uh pretty high it's like uh 2880 by 1700, so 100 pixels taller than what you'd find on the Vive Pro or the Valve Index, and it is an LCD LCD with RGB stripe subpixels. I can't wait to try this on. Uh, it will be, of course, compatible with all Steam VR games in addition to the uh, Vive Port stuff, Vive Port Infinity, and they also are launching this new Vive Port um, Origin uh, loading area that, that you get when you put the headset on. What about controllers? So it's Controllers, if you look at them, they look very, very similar to the Oculus Touch controllers. Uh, but they're not tracked with kind of invisible IR light. They're tracked with an active light. The inside-out tracking looks at this this pattern that's on the ring of the controllers. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get positional tracking. Uh, another big difference, it will take two AA batteries per controller as opposed to one on the Oculus Touch. What, what do you mean active light? How does what that, you... that white is yep. bright. It lights up. Okay, but I mean the the touch controllers have IR LEDs. Yes, but you, can, you can't see them. I guess okay. visual, like visible, Got sorry, it. visible light, light in the visible spectrum, and that might be one of the reasons it takes more power. So is this slightly heavier? Is this shape that the light has been carved into the controller? Is that like a marker? Is it like recognizing I think that shape? That's what it is. Interesting. Yeah. I think that that is it's uh huh. it's marker which has been designed obviously to work at different angles. Okay. Yeah, I'm really curious how quick, fast it tracks the controllers. You know, there's a lot of just because you have the field of view, if, even if you have like 310 degrees coverage mm-hmm. on uh, on your inside out tracking cameras, it's still software that allows, you know, the approximation of where your hands are behind your head when mm-hmm. you're doing something like, like putting uh, holstering a gun behind your head or putting hands behind your back and how far that um, sure. snaps back in and also how close you can get the controllers to your head. These are all problems that we had, or not we didn't have that people noticed with the Rift S uh, inadequacies that they then tried to address and, and patch with software updates. I'm glad that they went with a touch-like design because Oculus was not first to market with motion controllers. No. V- Vive was. Yeah, yeah. By a, a long time. Yeah. By, you know, almost a year. And uh, they could have very easily just stuck with their guns and stuck with the Vive controller. But the Touch, I think, is superior. And now we have Index controllers, which are more in line with the Touch, and and now these. So th- I think that's that's good that there's a greater sense of parity. I'm really curious the feel of the controllers, not only the heft, but also how the, the thumbstick feels, because it is a thumbstick now, not a touchpad. Mm-hmm. The grip was... a thing that a lot of people did not like about the, the two-button grip on the side of the Vive 1, so how the grip button works here. On the, the touch controllers, the grip is an analog grip, right? You can like use your middle finger, and, and you get a lot of analog control, so you can like see your virtual hands opening mm-hmm. and closing. Is that going to be the case? Is going to be more throw on that button? Uh, there are also two trigger buttons. There's a shoulder button, and I'm really curious. Oh, really? What games will support a second trigger button, oh. or what will that replace? That 
right? It's a lot of different opportunities here uh, for this controller. And also because it's Steam VR compatible, uh, in the future, they're going to have a, a faceplate attachment. We replace the six camera system. We place at least the four cameras on the faceplate mm-hmm. with Steam, uh, with uh, Lighthouse trackers. Lighthouse. So uh, it doesn't have any embedded Lighthouse trackers? No. Okay. This one doesn't. So you have to add that. Yeah. But presumably, if people like this headset, yeah. uh, you'll be able to use it with Vive Index controllers, Knuckles controllers in the future, which might be a preference for some people from games. I imagine it being Steam that you'll be able to use it without modifying the headset. Like you could That's use the, what I would hope. The inside out tracking combined with... But then you need the radio. Controller The controller tracking. needs to send, because they're all Bluetooth, right? Your Vive trackers... Hmm. are being sent to the headset. Although, right. on the old Vive Pucks, you would just plug in the USB key. Right. Right? So, yeah. why can't you have the USB key we'll still plug in, right. right, and have Vive Index controllers, con- uh, you know, still still give you that. These are things that we're going to ask HTC when we when we chat with them. Um, the other thing, is, I don't think they're really talking about it, but there will be an attachment that lets you then play games off of a smartphone, off of a, run them off a smartphone, and then pipe them over. So this becomes a little more of a standalone headset. Got it. it. Will be compatible with the wireless system they uh, they, they released the earlier. Eye or whatever. Uh, no, 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 not the eye tracking. The uh, Vive wireless. Oh right. Uh, but you need the Vive Pro wireless adapter for that because Got of the it. resolution. Yeah. So uh, again, pre-orders seven hundred dollars, and it will come out October third. Uh, last week, I also got to go hands-on. Well, I did get to go hands-on with uh, Tilt 5. Hot finally. dog. Hot yeah. Dog. Went to Tilt 5's offices uh, down in Santa Clara and got to demo the latest version of their prototype. They're going to do a Kickstarter relatively soon. I am so excited for this. <laughs> I think, you know, Cast AR launched as a Kickstarter in 2013. Yeah. And we were impressed by, like, their take on AR then, the idea of using retro reflectors and and bouncing light off a projector back I, into your eye. Let's just quickly tell her story because I think it's fascinating. She she was at Valve. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Ellsworth. Jerry Ellsworth um, has a long history with hardware manufacturing, was hired at Valve, and she was working on their VR stuff before they'd launched anything. And uh, I guess she um, and other engineers had developed this interesting you know, approach to augmented reality that was unlike anything else that anyone else was doing. Valve decided they weren't interested and they, you know, kindly let her go. And But they allowed her to take this tech with her. And she spun that into a uh, Kickstarter, with, like you said, years ago. Successful Kickstarter. Yeah. And uh, I think I was a backer. You were probably a backer. Mm-hmm. And um, then it, 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 they didn't end up manufacturing. They refunded everybody their money. They did. I mean, they did ship. Like dev units, yeah. But then uh, I think you know, for one reason or another, they it, it didn't work out, right? So uh, they did refund, like you said, and they've kind of been using that same technology as a foundation for this new company, Tilt Five. Which the thing I can say, and we'll, you'll watch this in the video when we get to put it out, uh, is that even though the fundamentals are the same, it's basically all new hardware, and I'm glad it's coming out next year and we're getting the 2020 version as opposed to the 2014 2015 version so the approach is everyone wears goggles that have both projectors stereo like two projectors stereo projectors and um lenses that only take one of the projectors back and and the light from the projector bounces off retroflective material which is the same stuff that they use on stop signs to make the light come directly back to you from your headlight Mm -hmm. 
And so, and that will potentially be like a, a board game that everyone can sit around and wearing their own headsets, see unique perspectives on an augmented board game yeah. or whatever that becomes. The really interesting thing I got from this, I mean, the board game design is real smart. They're, they're, they've established these parameters for game design where it's, everyone's going to have this essentially two foot by two foot board with tracking markers, visual markers, right? That, so telling developers that they're going to work with the design for this tabletop environment is a good constraint, right? Then it, you're not having, you're not requiring users to have the retroflecting material all over your house. Right. You're designing for tabletop play and that, that works for social gaming. It's a lot of, a lot of easy like wins there. And the trackers, how does that work? Uh, the, the, uh, the, you mean the controller? Uh, the fiducial markers that give yeah. you the plane that the board is There are on. two cameras, uh, looking outward from the, the glasses as well, uh, one with IR and one with just, um, you know, global shutter, mm -hmm. high frame rate computer vision tr um, cameras, and they see the trackers uh, that as are well built as into the to the retroflective material. Yes, they're built into the, the the border, so it's like okay. a designed border. Got it around the, uh, the 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 piece that you put down, and then also can do like hand tracking as well, so developers can tap into that. I think they're just going to use like third party hand tracking, which is really good. It's like Google hand tracking tech, mm -hmm. and and then you can have hand tracking for your interactions. Uh, Wait, well, what did you play? Was it like dungeon and dungeon style? They game? had some tech demos. So the yeah. physics tech demos. They had like their version of what like an mm -hmm. RPG would look like, and they had some you know like a, a Marble Madness style game. There and then, you know, they're working with a bunch of devs that they'll be in time. The devs will announce what games. But the idea is that when the ships are early next year, hopefully in the spring, that there'll be a, a library of games, and they just plug you plug it to your computer, so it runs off of. You just buy the game on Steam. That's an important detail. It's not a store. They're not doing like a, a tilt right. five store that you have to buy. But more importantly, the device has no compute. Yes. So, so you do yeah. plug into a, a laptop or a PC. Yes. Yes. Or and, an Android phone. You said? It, it, yeah, it's okay. an Android phone, USB C. So it can Got run it. off the phone. And there was some interesting tech stuff that they're doing to make it run off of the power of a phone, uh, even though they're rendering a pretty wide field of view and they're running at a high frame rate. Um, and that's all covered in the video. Now, I tried Cast AR years ago, but I, did, I haven't tried the new one. And the neat thing about it is, like, unlike every other AR headset that we use, it all, they always use optical combiners yeah. or, you know, other methods that create light in the lenses. Mm -hmm. What's different about this is the light is actually there. It's actually on the table. It's where it's actually emanating from or supposed to be emanating from. That And, and that was something that was difficult for my head to wrap around. Because, mm. yes, it's the projectors are in the glasses and they're bouncing and reflecting off of like a one-way mirror essentially where your eyes are. So that's why it always bounces back directly into your eyes. But essentially the light source you can think of as being on the surface, mm -hmm. on the material, the yeah. retroflective material. Now because of the way the retroflective material on a microscopic level, the, the, the surface texture of it, the bundles of light coming back from that are not necessarily diffused, but they're, they're kind of spread over different, almost different focal lengths. And so what they get, as it was explained to me, is you get like a, a free light field almost. Right. Uh, because light is bouncing from when it comes by the time it comes back to your eyes, mm -hmm. you're getting rays that are at a focal length that are, you know, four feet from you, three feet from you, one feet from you as close to your eye. Right. So, when you have virtual uh, augmented objects, mm -hmm. you know, a floating ball, for example, uh, that looks like it's elevated five inches above table or something, that will be in focus no matter how close you put your head to it. 
and objects behind it, if you shift your focus, will also be in focus. Hmm. You solve combination vergence for free because of the material, because of the way the light's physically bouncing off of the material. I, I would get that if you're talking about things bouncing, like if you're placing augmented objects on the surface of the material itself. That, to me, solves accommodation virgins. I don't understand how, if you're pushing something, if you're eleva- uh, levitating something off of that surface, why that would be at the correct position. Yeah, plane. and that is really hard for me to wrap my head around. Hmm. Like, like, think of the object that's being rendered above the surface. It's supposed to be floating yeah. a foot from the surface. Technically, it's still the same. It's, it's just different, two different views of an object. Accommodation, right? Two different views of an object. Uh, that's on the surface, but because uh, the way the rays have bounced off, mm-hmm. like it, the distance traveled, huh. it looks like it actually is there because all the you're getting light at all the distances. What do you think of the controller with the little wand? It's yeah. like a Harry Potter wand. Yeah, you know, it's it's a wand. Um, it's a six off controller, which is mm-hmm. a good thing. It's definitely not a game pad. I think they're intentionally not making a gamepad and you know if you want to use a gamepad you can just plug in a gamepad yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's i guess that's the benefit these are dev kits yes yes exactly well i mean i think they're designing the games also to to have the one interaction and to poke at things and point at things and laser point at things or blast at things so they'll have you know have a trigger have a thumbstick uh but i think the potential is i think people are going to find things they want to interact with the most, whether mm. it's with hands or, or with a traditional gamepad. I'm bummed that it's not like a track gamepad, but you know, you could right. have IMUs in a gamepad that can give you that type of movement anyway. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know how much direct interaction developers are going to want you to have with the augmented objects, like poke at a thing or hmm. point at the thing mm-hmm. rather than pointing and rather than like laser pointing. Right. Yeah. I, look, I still see the heart of this being the social gaming aspect of it. It's not about you like playing it by yourself in which case, like the kind of social games I expect are like very tabletopy type games where you're not looking for like fine control. You're looking to like, like generally push stuff around. But you want to be able to point out things. You have this shared experience. If I have, if all of us have this, this one and we're all kind of laser pointing at the the board, you know, strategizing it, right. We want that to be the, it has to, work but i don't think you need like the full functionality of a gamepad or even like a fully tracked controller well and to kishore's point about you want to push things around in a social gaming um you know environment can you talk about the invisible markers oh yeah so one of the things they they demoed is they're designing um basically qr code style pucks that you can throw on so you can like throw these pucks on and then things will happen because the system recognizes an object is now relative to the game board on on the game board and i think they're even experimenting with like invisible ink for those because there's ir cameras on this so you could look at something that looks like a magic card whatever ccg card but it will have a qr code a marker and then you can throw that card in so it's a real blend of you know it's what augmented reality should be it's a blend of the things you would see in the real world and yeah. also this projected um layer on top of it uh the other thing was i think they're really pushing for asymmetrical games right so oh wow we're not not everyone has to be in ar huh. to play the game yeah no, that's great right so someone could be on a tablet i want this from AR. pinball i want pinball to be internet connected and i want to like take 
play a multiplayer game against someone in Wisconsin. And that's what they're talking about, right? Because if you and I are cross country and we all have the headset or the, right, the tilt five goggles and also a board, yeah. as long as we're sitting in the right place relative to each other, I could see what you're pointing at and I can see your character. And it's as Absolutely. if you're, you know, why not just then throw in a FaceTime tablet right there and we have a, you know, a, a telepresence t- uh, tabletop game. People have done this with chess for decades. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's going to be $300, start at $300 when they do their Kickstarter. We'll have a full interview with Jerry and our hands-on impressions and all that stuff uh, in a video uh, coming soon. Very cool. Um, that, I think... God. Oh, we got, there's so much there's so much VR news. I mean, <laughs> OC, OC6 is next week. Yes. So we'll be probably be doing this podcast uh, from Oculus Connect 6. Um, uh, whatever announcements they are going to announce there. The new head of ARVR, or the, the current head of ARVR, has been there, Boz, uh, for a while, uh, tweeted about participation for OC6. Mm-hmm. He's all, so now they've kind of combined all of their research in their Facebook reality labs. Mm-hmm. And they, they said on a Twitter thread, they will be talking about both VR and AR at OC6. It is the name of the department. Yeah. Uh, and then on the Valve side, oh my God, so much. Uh, there was high anticipation for a, a lecture at DigiPen at the uh, the University of the Game Design School because <laughs> a, one a talk. A t- uh, no one likes a lecture. No one likes to be lectured they're to. They're technically lectures. Guest lecture. <laughs> okay. Right? All right. A guest, guest talk over DigiPen from Carrie Davis, who is a designer uh, at, uh, at Valve. And the, the billing for this talk alluded to the fact that he would be talking about his work on flagship VR game, mm-hmm. Valve's flagship VR game, which yeah. is an acknowledgement of you know what they had announced earlier in the year, something hopefully shipping this year. Now, there was no announcement. Let's get this out of the way. There was no confirmation on release date. There are live Twitter threads, like live blogging of this talk. There's a gorilla video of this talk. DigiPen recorded it, but they haven't put out the video yet. Um, but basically, it was about the challenges of designing interaction models for VR, specifically referencing door design was the primary example. Um, and designing something as uh, seemingly simple as a concept of a door is actually very difficult in VR. For instance, one element of that is the sound and he talked about how previously if you open a door in a video game it plays a sound clip because they know how long it takes for that animation to finish of the door swinging open right but in vr you can grab the door and go quickly you can go back and forth you can slam it and so now a lot of all of their sounds for that kind of interaction it has to be done procedurally right right and and then also which way the door swings how whether people whether doors are one way or whether there are two ways you know you don't want users to push their hands through the doors uh, whether there's a latching mechanism whether you have to turn the handles right. the, and so all these things are about building essentially a new reality the building the mechanics of a reality in a game environment and then the clever cheats and the clever things that as game designers they can do to shortcut uh these interactions without fooling without you noticing right right because things you take for granted the fact that once you twist a do- uh, doorknob you can swing a door and like things don't actually latch like the mechanisms can can cheat uh the only confirmation is that there will be doors <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, interesting talk uh one that could have been done three years ago nothing was announced it was uh i mean i prob- i don't know if could have been done why not years ago. Yeah. this is like the lab was out like yeah there's nothing 
the thinking about doors and VR level design is something that people have been doing for years now, and this was an extension of that. This type of door is not a door I would see in an Aperture Labs environment. Or are there? I guess in the office parts of the lab. I don't think you have seen any final assets in... <laughs> but I'm just thinking of like Robot Repair Lab. I'm thinking of the lab. Yeah. I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. of uh, Aperture, the, the hand test, mm-hmm. right? The hand lab. Uh, none of those, those have these type of swinging doors. I'm still really hoping it's Left 4 Dead. I think doors are an essential part of the Left 4 Dead gaming experience. Closing doors behind you, opening yep. doors in new environments. Yeah, well, also like th- that Pavlov mode where you are uh, props. Yeah. You can go in that office space, and if you forget to close that door, to tell. Yeah. You know. Right. But that's different than that's, that's design. Different. But it's yeah. just that like doors are important. <laughs> doors are. <laughs> doors are important. Doors are very important. Uh, and he did say that uh, he doesn't know if they'll be shipping this year. I think that's the plan, but those are that's a decision for people right. above his pay grade. He'll find out the day that before they announce. Yes. Exactly. It's an interesting talk. Um, there are bits of it on, on YouTube and there are Twitter threads, like we said, that you can follow. Uh, I think that's all we have time for this week. There's so much more to talk about. Oh. All VR episode next week, though. Yes. All so VR. get into it. All yes. the time. Yes. yes. We yes. hope to have a special guest on the show. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be very fun. Oh, I'll give a shout out. There was a, a post on um, uh, the Reddit slash Arculus, a game called uh, Which Way is Down? that someone has made uh cryptic ink that sounds horrifying uh, it's looks really fun it's basically the world turned upside down and you are climbing you're trying not to fall into the abyss into the sky and you're on trees upside down on trees with gravity pulling you up i guess and you're jumping from trees that you're climbing with a climbing mechanism and you're jumping using an axe to basically hook yourself like a climbing um Hook. Is this VR? It's a VR. Yeah. Wow. One trees. Yeah. All right. I like it. I, I like it too. I like the idea and the idea that you can maybe like chop a tree branch and climb and then hmm. jump and use this axe to then latch on the things and yeah. climb. But some surfaces are not climbable. And yeah, it, it looks like a novel concept. I like it. Um, that does it for this week's podcast. We have an outro. Guess who's back? This one's called Robotic. Let's hear it. Oh, maybe I'll turn the sound on first. Yeah, I see it. Got mute, unmute. Gonna play it now. Hi there. Oh, can't close the laptop. Oh, it's here. <laughs> the cosplayer crossover. It was probably the third most popular outfit I saw. There was a lot of Bob Rosses. Yeah. Bob Ross Dalek, one of the hits of the con that was just wandering around. Yeah, yeah. So is that robotic or is he walking around? This one, he was walking around. I, there were robotic Daleks all over. And for people listening, the Dalek is the lower half of the costume, with the top half being the more traditional Bob Ross of the wig and uh, the paint palette. Is that robotic or is he walking around? He's walking, walking around. around. Bob, Bob Ross. Ross. Robotic? Yeah, just wandering around. But it's not Davros the Dalek, it's Bobrus the Dalek. Robotic? Or is he walking around? Robotic? Houdini! Yeah. 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 Is that Java for Checkmate? Houdini! That's it.
It said a week ago, but it was nine days ago. Yeah. We played it last it's week. It's worth playing again. It's good. All it's right. a good one. Thanks a lot. See you next week.